does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So it's noon on a Thursday, which I'll be honest with you, kind of feels like a Wednesday. We'll get to that in a second. But it's a Colts game day, and the Colts in Philadelphia tonight. As a matter of fact, pregame coverage of that taking place just five hours from now, leading you up to kickoff at 8 o'clock. That will be the predominant part of our conversation today. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, as he usually is, is in studio as well, capably, of course, manning the ship yesterday. Eddie Garrison is flying things for us in master control, so to speak, producing and We've got a lot to talk about today, Jimmy, but let's begin with this. Uh, You and I yesterday went in two different directions from Indianapolis for sporting events to cities that begin with the letter C. Um, One for America's traditional pastime and the other for probably America's growing pastime, right? Yes, I would agree. So take me through, and then I'll get to going to Chicago, but take me through your trip yesterday to, uh, I believe Cincinnati's the Queen City, is it not? Yes, it is. So So is Charlotte, right? Correct. And... uh, I had forgotten it was Charlotte. A buddy of mine who came with us reminded me that there's Charlotte's also the Queen City. Correct. So there you go. Having factoids left and right yesterday. Yeah, we got done with the show, uh, made sure everything was good from a post-production standpoint, then headed on the long drive to Cincinnati, left at about 4, got there about 6.20 or so, traffic cooperated, which was nice. And was there because I am a big Messi fan. Wanted the opportunity to get to see him in person. They were playing FC Cincinnati in a U.S. Open Cup semifinal. Started off 1-0, then 2-0 in favor of Cincinnati. Just wanted to get one goal to make things interesting. And then Messi took over. And he didn't score to take over. But some beautiful assists, some great passes. They wind up coming back to tie it. It goes to extra time. They take a lead 3-2. Then Cincinnati responds in the second extra time. It goes to penalty kicks. Cincinnati winds up missing. Miami hits 5-4 on penalties. They move on. It was as good as advertised and well worth the price of admission. So how many people were there? Uh, The sellout was 25,500. How much was your ticket? Uh, So the face, the secondary market purchase for the ticket was three thirty, and that's a lot. I understand, but we had bought tickets accidentally to go see them in Miami in October. I thought it was a home match in Cincinnati. They play them again in the regular season. I, I got the soccer so schedule wrong, them. so I flipped them, right, and so okay. we ended up in total out of pocket cost about seventy to one hundred dollars. I think a ticket. So. Here's the thing that's interesting about that, and I know that, listen, the Colts are going to be the big topic today, including a couple of offers apparently out there dangling as Jonathan Taylor shops his service that we'll get you up to speed on. But one thing that I think is interesting about your day, Jimmy, to me, and, and I don't know, but I have strong suspicion of this, your day yesterday cements further my theory that there is very little to no chance that Indianapolis gets an MLS club. Yeah, that's my unfortunate feeling about it. Because Cincinnati, well, first off, I'm not even going to get into because people don't want to hear it, and I I understand and respect it. The the whole, like, $1 billion for a soccer complex on the west side, I think people know where I stand on that. Um, But 
Do you know what the last Fran- San Diego was just the last city given an expansion? Half a million dollars. Half a million dollars. Half a billion. Dollars. Half a billion dollars. Excuse me. Sorry. Five hundred yes, million sorry. dollars. Sorry. Twist the tongue. Yes. Five hundred. So five hundred million dollars yes. to join the MLS, and that's coming off of the previous, I believe, was two hundred million. Yes. So at that rate, you would assume that with that escalation, that it's going to be seven hundred and fifty million to one billion dollars just for an organization to be admitted into the MLS. In addition to that. Cincinnati, Chicago, St. Louis, Columbus, Columbus. They're no fools. They're, they're looking at it and they're saying, wait a minute, we've got Jimmy Cook that's willing to spend $330. And I get it. They didn't pocket that. It was it. secondary, but still. I, I understood. But, you, yeah. but you, you were looking at it, right? Yeah. To drive an hour and a half to go to a match. And they're like, we don't want that guy having one right around the corner from where he lives. Sure. They love it, right? And they're going, they're going to make it very difficult for Indianapolis. But, um, the one only caveat to that, and it's the elephant in the room we can acknowledge, I would not have been going to an FC Cincinnati match if the MLS didn't work the way they did to go get Messi here. That's the only reason I went. They're growing well, rapidly to a point that that's probably going to happen where that effect occurs, but if it was a Wednesday night match right. where they're playing the Columbus crew, I, I wouldn't have been there. And that's the other thing about it, right? I mean, it is still a league that, for the most part, is seen by most people as secondary yes. within the sport. Yes. To, to the, you know, the over-the-pond. And, and again... And I get it. I mean, I know that soccer is massively popular. One of the real draws and appeal to it is you know going into it. Like, you were able to plan exactly what time you were going to be on the road to come home. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you're like, I don't know, the game might take three and a half. No, you, you know exactly how long it's going to be, and that's a huge draw and appeal to it. Um, was it like 10,000 degrees? For the first part, yes, it was. It was insane. I was, I was sweating buckets. Uh, I went yesterday to, and I, for whatever reason, I thought it was U.S. Cellular Field. It's now Guaranteed Rate Field. Mm-hmm. Um Every year, Shannon and I go to, and I'm not a fan of the team per se, but we go to a Chicago White Sox game. We pick, we're like, let's just go up for a businessman special afternoon game to the Chicago White Sox. And obviously, I had bought the tickets, done everything well ahead of when I knew that this was the shift that I was going to be working. I mean, originally, I thought I was going to be getting off work at 10. So thank you to them for, for letting me, for honoring that day off request. But so we drove up, and what are the odds? that you're going to a baseball game in the city of Chicago and the heat index is going to be 107 degrees, which is literally what it was. 107 degrees. Okay? So the seats itself, we get to, to... And it's a nice park. It's right there off the Dan Ryan when you're going up. I mean, it's it's literally... Um, not, And I wasn't... This is not aggressively doing it from door to door with a stop two hours and 35 minutes, two hours and 40 minutes. So we get there... And the lower level, which is our seats were in the lower level, and Shannon's like, listen, we were in row 26. The the lower level is like 35 rows. Rows 32, 33, 34, and 35 are under shade from the overhang of the mid-level. So you can guess where 95% of the crowd was seated. In the last four rows of the lower level or the last four rows of the upper level because of the overhangs. The seats were melting in the picture that it, you posted. I don't know if you looked at the closer and zoomed dude. in, but there was actual plastic And it melting. was all plastic is all yeah. you could see, yeah. right? Yeah. It was definitely warm. Uh, I think the White Sox won. They were up 2 nothing when... So we, did, we got there. We're like, okay, we're going to have one beer and a hot dog. And then a ton of bottled water. We sat for four innings. At the fifth inning, we went to the gift shop, walked around there, walked around the stadium, went up to the top. There's actually a cool area on the 500 level at the stadium 
that when you go up to it has like a Chicago, you know how like the indie sign that you do? Yes. They have one of those that, that's the Chicago script of the White Sox, and the skyline is right behind you. Literally the entire skyline. So you can take a photo. So we did that. You mentioned out. which stadium earlier this week. I'm forgetful on it. You mentioned the breathtaking Dodger Stadium. Breathtaking Dodger skyline. Stadium. Yeah. I, I didn't say it at the time, but when you said that, I'm sure it's not as glamorous as the LA skyline, but that shot you're no, talking I think about is Chicago's very, very nice. Chicago's a better skyline than Los yeah. Angeles, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the difference being at Dodger Stadium, when you turn around, then you are looking right out over Chavez Ravine, and it, <laughs> in, in Chicago, you turn around and you're looking at the White Sox, right? <laughs> Fair. Uh, hey, good afternoon to everybody. Again, on a Thursday, my name is Jake Query. That is Jimmy Cook, and it is Query and Company here. A lot to talk about with the Colts. Also on the program today, we'll talk uh, a, a bit of a sidestep for a few minutes, just about 20 minutes from now, Ricky Taylor, who is going to be here in September running the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but not in an Indy car. We'll explain what we're talking about that coming up here in just about 20 minutes. And then Sage Steele, who, of course, went to high school here in central Indiana, worked at Wish TV 8 uh, right at the time that I was. Now, this is the uncomfortable thing, Jimmy, and we can ask her about this when it happens. When Sage Steele was at Channel 8, I was at Channel 6. And we were at IU at the same time. She is, I believe, one grade, to use that term, ahead of me. But I was at Channel 6 as, like, basically a total grunt, not even on air at that time, I don't think. Um, and I loved every minute of it, I, you know, working, cutting tape and producing and going out and doing interviews to get sound bites. when she was anchoring at Wish TV when we first got out of IU. And we were neighbors to an extent at IU. But I didn't know her well. Now professionally speaking since she has obviously rose to the you know really the highest of levels with 16 years at espn that just came to an end um when we have interacted she she says like oh i remember you at six i think she has me confused with someone now is this going to be uncomfortable when i have her on should i say like i think you think i'm someone else like i think she thinks she's maybe talking to like vince welch i was going to ask you if you had a inkling for who it might be she was talking about in that scenario i don't know actually it wouldn't have been Vince because they would have worked together sure um i'm being somewhat facetious but she's been i mean she's always like oh no like we came we, we came up through the ranks at the same time and i'm like well we kind of did but you were like i was playing like rookie ball and she was already like <laughs> in the triple a you know what i mean yes. or, or like on her way to the majors but anyway sage gonna join us at two o'clock let's get to the colts kickoff tonight eight o'clock pregame coming up at five jimmy when it comes to this there is going to be so much made about jonathan taylor and anthony richardson those are the focal points and we'll certainly you know it's impossible to avoid those storylines. They're ubiquitous when you're talking about the franchise right now and the state of the Colts. But tonight, taking on Philadelphia, Shane Steichen going back and seeing a team with which he's familiar. Richardson is going to be under center. The positions, aside from those guys that most intrigue you, are where? Leading off, it's along the offensive line. And the primary reason for that is with how joint practices went this week. No Ryan Kelly, no Will Fries. And Eddie, correct me if I'm wrong on this, and Jake, you can as well. I don't know if it's been officially announced what their status is going to be for tonight, if they are going or not. But let's assume they won't, and it is a depth offensive line look with some starters mixed in. That is a very real reality in the National Football League. If you simulate seven or eight weeks, the idea of having a completely offensive line or a completely healthy offensive line throughout that time is highly unlikely. You're going to need your rookie quarterback to be able to rely on multiple different protection sets. And I know that it's going to be the twos out there from a Philadelphia standpoint, but that doesn't matter to me 
right now with the repetition that he needs. So even though on the one hand, everybody's worried about, all right, staying healthy, nobody get hurt, nobody get injured. It does impact Anthony Richardson, though, even though I'm focused on the O-line group of how do these rotational pieces that are utilized throughout his time on the field protect him? Are they able to be as consistent as they were for, say, Sam Ellinger at the back half of the game against the Bears? And how does he respond again with those type of different protection personnel that are there? The other side of things... And again, they're, they're directly tied to both the people you've told me to stay away from in this scenario. It is the rest of the running back room, who we see get yeah, the majority fair. of the carries yeah. along, again, paired with this offensive line, with the idea that Jonathan Taylor might not be, I'm not even saying might not be a Colt in terms of being dealt, but might not be available week one, whether it's because he's on the pup or because he's holding out. Whatever the case may be, you continue to look at this running back room, and it's like, all right, who is going to be not next man up, but we live in an NFL right now where the thought is you don't need a premium running back. You just plug and play a decent running back. As long as your offensive line holds up, they should be able to do the job. That's a theory that's been proven for other teams that operate by committee. The Colts might very well be operating by committee throughout the course of this year. I would like to be a little bit more on the stability side of the running back room. You know, I'm I'm curious of this. Do you believe that part of Shane like when there was so much made about Anthony Richardson not playing against Chicago do you believe that there is any possibility that the reason they didn't play him is because Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen both knew that that was the game that they were going to be analyzing and determining their offensive line depth and so as a result of that they knew it was a line that had not played with each other and that was primarily going to have some guys on the line that we're not going to be playing on Sundays in six weeks or seven weeks. And so, therefore, it was better served to protect Richardson and not have him behind that. I think that weighed heavily on it. I also think when you look at the Colts' schedule, there aren't a ton of situations where they are going to have the amount of back-to-back-to-back-to-back reps to live game action that they've had the last two weeks. When you look at joint practices going into a preseason game, going into joint practices, going into a short turnaround of a Thursday night football game, there's not a ton of those on the schedule to this point. And as a rookie quarterback in this league, with the factor of the offensive line still not being its true self, I think it was that, trying to evaluate the O-line for him, but also not wanting to risk undue stress that could lead to injury of having so much that happened this week. They clearly, or the last two weeks, they clearly emphasized the joint practices like a lot of teams are as the real evaluator for where their team is at. And I think a second preseason game was always on their mind, but they didn't want it to be sandwiched together the way that this last two weeks have had so much coming at them. You know, one of the things that, here's the thing about this Colts team. And I get it. It's a total reset. But I think that we are under the belief that the quarterback is the only area that, re- that they're resetting. And the reality is this. The reality right now is that the 2023-2024 Indianapolis Colts might be starting over at the quarterback position. But the real challenge for them is the fact that they don't necessarily have cemented footing around him in terms of other pieces the roster is not very good they have good players but they don't have a plethora of good players at at multiple positions like I think you know Quentin Nelson when healthy was really good but we're not talking about the fact that Quentin Nelson last year wasn't healthy and has had like you know multiple surgeries how's he going to be this year big question mark you know 
Ryan Kelly, when at size and healthy, is good. But last year, he was undersized. He lost weight. I, I totally understand, respect, and almost give a pass to the personal issues that he and his wife were going through that might have led to his slide from a play factor, focus factor, and weight factor, right? Yeah. But that's a question mark. What is he going to be this year? Bernard Ryman started to show last year towards the end of the year that, yes, in fact, he might be a left tackle that you can have for a while and and, and keep as your centerpiece and your pillar. But he was learning on the job. And he was not only learning on the job, Jimmy, he was learning on the job with people around him that were not playing at their 100%. So how is he going to adjust to that this year? The Defensively, they have guys that show flashes or look the part getting off the plane at the airport, but it hasn't translated to consistent play. Their pass rush, Quiddy Pay, Dio, you know, I mean, DeForest Buckner is obviously a very good player. But some of the youth around them, they have at times shown the flashes to justify where they were selected and the faith put in them, but not consistently. So this year, like there are multiple areas that if you're Chris Ballard, it does feel a little bit like you are plugging one hole just long enough for water to start seeping out another. You've got to, if you're Ballard, wouldn't you be looking at it all the time saying to yourself, like, what area do I attack first here? Or do I have the most faith in? I mean, you have to, for the reasons you outlined, but also... Outside of DeForest Buckner, name me a player on this roster that you would describe as, and, and some might push back on DeForest Buckner in that regard, name me a player on this roster that you would describe as elite that is under contract next season. Because I get it, Michael Pittman Jr. will probably get worked out. Like If the Colts want to retain him, they will do that because it's a premium position. But if Jonathan Taylor is on his way out, going into this season, we, we can buy in and get behind hope and another leap forward for Alec Pierce, and that Josh Downs turns into something special as a rookie. Like We can project those out and hope for that, but there's no definitive, oh, I look at this player right now, and he's an elite talent in the National Football League. They don't have one outside of DeForest Buckner and maybe Anthony Richardson if he takes a leap this year going into next season under contract where you can confidently say, we have that position worked out. Right. That's not a shot at Juju Brents. That's not a shot at anybody along the offensive line. It's going off of what we know about this team right now with the unknowns of this season that could change that both for the positive and for the negative. But right now, on August the 24th, there's no elite position player for the Colts that is under contract next season outside of, again, maybe DeForest Buckner. You ever, um, are you a hockey fan at all? Not really. I know, okay, I'll get but, into playoff but hockey. But you like but soccer, yeah, right? Yeah. So in soccer, I don't know if this is the case as much in soccer as it is hockey. I'm not a huge hockey fan either. I, I, I can't argue against playoff hockey. It's electric. Is you what know what's, what's interesting to me about hockey, and I think to an extent soccer, okay? I think both of them, and I've always felt this way, Jimmy, about auto racing if you grew up in an area that doesn't have auto racing. But notably, soccer and hockey have one thing in common. I think that they are sports that are probably more simplistic than the novice thinks. And so people get intimidated by thinking that it is more intricate than it really is. So when I watch a hockey game, I'm watching it thinking like that there's that I'm only understanding the checkers and they're actually out there playing chess. And in reality, they're kind of playing checkers. 
it's not as complicated, I think, as I've always wanted to think that it is. Soccer, I think, is the same way. People get intimidated by it because they're like, well, there's one guy, but there, there's got to be other stuff going on. And it actually is like, well, no, there's like midfielders that their job is to defend. And then there's wings that set up for the striker. You know what I mean? It's, it's pretty simple in its pure form. But in hockey, a team can get on a hot streak in the postseason, notably in the playoffs, with a hot goaltender. Yeah. You get a goaltender that goes through a two to four to five week stretch where they're in the zone. And I do believe in the zone. I don't know if you've played sports and been in the zone before, but where like everything just slows down and like you just feel like everything you touch turns to gold. And goaltenders can get into that zone where they're stopping everything. And I think one of the tricks in the National Football League at determining the long-term value of players at the cornerback position is I do think that cornerbacks can get into a zone and they can go through periods where they're like a goaltender on a hot streak. And so you're watching Pierre Desir or you're watching Kenny Moore the second when nobody knows who he is at first. And you're thinking to yourself, holy cow, this is the next Deion Sanders. This is the next, you know, Champ Bailey. Yeah. But they're just in a hot streak. They're in a zone. And it's dangerous to put too much emphasis on what a guy is because it can be so cyclical in terms of their psyche. And the second that they get thrown off as a corner, they're back to square one again. And then it's like, well, what are their natural skill sets? So I think for the Colts at the corner position, because it basically is, there are so many guys that are rotating through. You've got to determine, you know, Dallas Flowers, Juju Brents, who I think Juju Brents has a lot of raw athleticism and size, which is intriguing. So he has the baseline you're looking for, but you can't get oversold, if you will, based on that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why, we're not in a situation like this yet in Indianapolis, but that's why in today's NFL, we talk about how running backs are often not evaluated the right way. And it's been an adjustment period where they're no longer overpaying that position. If you have everything right on the offensive end and you've built yourself up where you can win in the trenches along the defensive line, I've never been a big fan of overpaying corners because they are often streaky. You can get bought into totally. the idea that they are an elite level cornerback when in reality they're just on one of those hot streaks, that hot zone, and that's where overpays sometimes happen. And it's a position group that, again, it depends on your d- defensive philosophies, how much you want to invest there, but I've always been a better fan or bigger fan of having action in the trenches, winning on the edges, having a difference maker, a defensive tackle, and then, I don't want to say bargain shopping cornerbacks, but not overpaying that position. You know, the other thing, and the Colts have been burnt by this in the past as well, and that is by believing too much into what we're talking about and having a corner that is that is really good, but convincing yourself that they're asking you to commit to their hot streak. And I think, and I'm going way back here, I know, but, you know, they had certain guys, like, like Jason David was a guy that was a situational corner, and I think that they thought, that Jay, and they knew Jason David was a situational corner. And I think it was New Orleans signed him to a big deal and found out, like, this guy was only good because of the situation he was in in Indianapolis. Like, they kind of protected him, right? And Peyton Manning was the first to figure that out because when they went to New Orleans, he's like, I'm just going to throw eight touchdowns this game all <laughs> at Jason David, right? But there have been other guys in the Colts' past, way back, notably, that were really good young corners that I think the Colts thought 
well, we're not going to overpay based on their hot streak, and we'll let them go elsewhere. And then, like the Ashley Ambroses and the Ray Buchanans of the world have gone on to be really good players, and you think, man, maybe they should have locked that in. But it is a roll of the dice. I mean, you just never know, right? You, you, ne- you absolutely never know. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has some, perhaps, resumes to look through. We'll explain what we're talking about with that. And then again, Sage Steele joins us at 2 o'clock today. You are listening to Querying Company, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Ricky Taylor of IMSA Racing going to join us here in just a little bit on Query and Company. Jake, while you were out yesterday, we dove into a lot of the rumor mill of teams that might be interested in Jonathan Taylor or where he might go. And one of the more fascinating elements of it is not just the destination, but the fact that a lot of these reporters out in these different markets that are talking about whether the Bears are interested or the Dolphins are interested is the figure of per year salary for him that they speculate he might command. It's been in the 12 to $15 million range. And that got me to thinking... If I'm a Colts fan and I see it as a second and a fourth rounder or a second and a fifth rounder or something like that, John Taylor moves on. If he signs a three-year, twelve or thirteen million dollar deal, I would scratch my head and think, well, that's not that tough to stomach for a 24-year-old, even at that position. That's not overly resetting the market money. That's not quite average, but it's in about the Derrick Henry fourth, fifth, sixth highest paid running back per year range. Yeah, here's the the catch twenty two. I agree with that. The real challenge, Jimmy, for both sides is this, and and this is where you ever seen that that meme? I think it's called a meme. Maybe it's a GIF. Do you say GIF or JIF? I usually say JIF, but I get okay yelled at. Eddie, for it. which one do you go with? GIF. I'm kind of with Eddie on that because isn't it graphic something? Yeah. I don't, but Jif, I, I understand, right? Yeah. I mean, I like peanut butter. It's cool. So, but the one of the two Spider-Man, the two Spider-Man pointing at like each other, pointing yes. at each other, yes. you know, basically meaning like you have a standoff of of equal strength, equal strength. Yes. This has that feeling. I, I did um, a radio hit to use that term last night. I did a phoner, you know, just like when we have on people from different markets to talk about, hey, so and so from Philadelphia is here talking about the Eagles. So I did one last night in Las Vegas to talk about the Colts, and it was with Sean King, the former NFL quarterback that played for the Bucks. He was one of the guys. And so we were talking about the Taylor situation. And I told him, I said, Sean, the thing about this that's so fascinating is it's like trades in sports that work out for both teams. Very rarely do you have trades that work out for both teams. But like the Sabonis-Halliburton trade, it worked out for both teams. You're like, hey, cool, everybody's happy. This situation, if you were to do a debate club between Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, the debates work out for both sides. They both have very legitimate points, and it feels like the two Spider-Men looking at each other. But the one thing for Taylor that where I think he tried to create some some leverage, Jimmy, that, that has backfired on him, is when, when players come into a situation where they don't want to practice or they want to hold out or they want to make it clear how badly they are needed on the football field, they use the injury card. 
And I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor's not hurt. But I don't know for certain because I don't know that anybody knows. The ankle, yes, I think probably is legitimate. But when he comes in and he says, oh, by the way, I injured my back. How do you know? Okay, so his back hurts. Well, how does anybody, how do you determine whether or not someone does indeed have like a strained back muscle or whatever else, right? So Taylor perhaps is buying himself leverage of essentially saying like, my back hurts, so you know what? Guess what? I'm going to be on the sidelines and you're going to see how badly you need me in trying to fuel the urgency to get an extension, okay? The Colts, of course, are like, oh, okay. Well, when did this happen? In Arizona? Okay, well, if it happened in Arizona, then I guess that that means that it was a non-football injury. And that means that we could put you on the non-football injury list, which means that you, Jonathan Taylor, are not going to get paid. And so now what they have done, though, is created a doubt of his health that makes it hard for him to be traded. Because if you are Miami or you are Dallas and you're a team that has interest in him, what you are saying is, look, we have interest in, the, in what you're trying to sell us, but like we want a test run. Yeah. I'm willing to buy your car, but can I take it to my mechanic and have him look over it, right. please? And Taylor tried to create situation for himself that gave him financial leverage. But the Colts, on the other hand, are like, okay, we're going to illuminate this injury of which you speak. And then what the Colts ended up doing and what Taylor ended up doing was actually hurting his 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 value on the open market. Yeah. And then it just becomes like a complete quagmire. You know, it just becomes a messy situation, right? But we'll continue talking about, again, Colts tonight, 8 o'clock in Philadelphia, pregame beginning at 5 p.m. And we will get you all set for that leading up to it. John, of course, going to take over at 3 and we'll get you set up for the pregame as well. But speaking of Taylors, one of them just walked in studio. Which I love because he now he has a box. Ricky Taylor's here, uh, who drives, of course, in the IMSA series for Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport. You're going to be at IMS coming up here in, gosh, three weeks. Is that right? Yeah, September 15th to 17th. Okay, so first off, and it's good to see you, by the way. Um, let's begin with this. I, I'm going to ask you to spill the beans here before we get to it. looks like you brought a gift box, which I appreciate. But um, the last few nights, there's been a car running around the speedway, like after hours, basically. Um Clearly, this is to get a gauge, I would assume, as to IMSA's adaptability at night on the on the road course, because there's going to be, I think, next year an endurance race that's further. But um, who who is out there driving? Is that you? Are you taking laps? Uh, it's hours? not us yet. I think it's I think Penske's out there testing. Yeah, I, I knew it was. So is it? Would it be New Garden? Could be. Yeah, he's supposed to race Petit Le Mans at the end of the year, so Newgarden could be there. Uh, Lawrence Vantor, one of the other Porsche factory drivers, uh, was announced. So I, I can imagine they got everybody there. Probably. Okay, so most notably what it is, IMSATireRack.com, Battle on the Bricks, September 15th, 16th, and 17th. For those that are unfamiliar, I love the sports car stuff because it's wild because you've got multiple classes out there so people come out and they can see the variation of and on the road course it's got to be impossible because you got like slower guys that aren't merging over and I mean it's it's like all hell's breaking loose uh, what are people going to see when they come out yeah like you said I think the most unique thing about sports car racing is the multi-class uh, aspect to it um, so yeah it's like being stuck on the highway except everybody's in their own race <laughs> right. trying to get somewhere um, there's going to be five different classes of cars so the GTP class which depends 
Penske's testing is is the top class. Uh, Porsche, BMW, uh, Cadillac, and Acura all, all racing in that class. And then in the other categories, it's a spec prototype class and a GT class, which is you know your Ferrari 458s and uh, Porsche 911s and and Acura NSXs, uh, Corvettes, um, and they'll they'll be on track at the same time. Um, but I think something unique for for this weekend is IMS is opening up, opening up camping. So uh, I. I've never seen uh, IMS as a as a campsite. I'm I'm sure it'll be the nicest campsite you've ever seen. Um, so I know Doug Bowles was was camping out there the other weekend, and uh, I think the the atmosphere of a sports car weekend normally is more of that family oriented, uh, get up close to the action, sort of accessible sort of weekend. You know the the reality is this when it comes to the road course in particular at IMS, right? And that is that any event you put on, there are people that live here, as I'm sure you know this, Ricky, that will come out to IMS if they're racing tricycles, right? And that's not to belittle what you guys are doing, but like it's it from a driver standpoint, is it the same way? I mean, do you look at it and you say, okay, it is IMS, so there is a history and a heritage that I want to be able to pick up a win here to add to your Rolexes and the other things you've done. Yeah, I think I think everybody wants to be a part of Indianapolis history. Um, you look at uh, you know, it, it's just when you think of Indianapolis, you think of motorsports, you think of the Speedway, and uh, even for the international drivers, which I know as an American it's obvious. You know, you go, to, you, you race a car, you want to go to to the Speedway, and uh, even for the Europeans, my teammates from Portugal, and uh, he's excited to come here and race at the Speedway. He's becoming a fan of the Indy Five Hundred. Um, you know, back to the F1 days when F1 was coming here, it just got so much history um, that you know you just you just want to you want to you want to have the chance to kiss the bricks. I don't know if we'll get the chance, but uh, just It'd be pretty cool though, yeah, right? Yeah, it's just even though it's not the Indy 500, you want to be a part of it. How does the road course test you in ways that other courses don't, or, or comparably so? It's really a tricky a tricky track. It's um. It looks like just another road course on paper. Um, we don't use the banking like the, like they used to, uh, but I think th- this track in particular, it's so flat that a lot of the car setup has to be quite unique. It's fast. It's got a lot of top speed, but then the corners are extremely heavy braking, which means a lot of overtaking, a lot of passing opportunities. Um, but then the corners themselves are, are quite tight and quite narrow, uh, which means it's going to be hard to pass the GT cars once you're in the corners, because our cornering speeds compared to a GT car can be you know upwards of 20 miles an hour different so uh, I think it's going to compress and and expand the tra- the racing a lot and uh, that you know having not done it in so long I think uh, it'll be interesting for the fans it should be exciting you know one of the things that's that I think is cool Ricky Ricky Taylor's our guest by the way from Wayne Taylor racing with Andretti Autosport September 15th 16th and 17th IMSA out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway we'll get you all the ticket information as well um I always like in racing when guys from different worlds have to come together for you know to work together as teammates or even sometimes even as uh, opponents. There's there's always kind of an understanding of helping each other out. You formed a pretty good relationship with Elio Castroneves, right? In terms of being a teammate, and now did he teach you Portuguese? Or that would that would help I you think out, that right? He wanted to keep to himself, <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't know what he was saying, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but can you take me through just your your relationship with him and and maybe some of the other drivers that you've had to team up with over the years, which soon is going to be your brother again as well. Yeah, sports car racing is so unique like that, um, and it's it's like two quarterbacks getting to play with each other, which you never really get to do. You have, you never have two two primary quarterbacks that are learning from each other and pushing each other towards the same goal. You're always sort of holding something back. But in sports car racing, your teammate is your your best tool uh, to win races, and it, you learn from him, and he learns from you, and 
you know, different situations, you might play a different driver in certain situations that that could favor one guy. Maybe the, maybe it's the rain, maybe it's at night, maybe the car just suits him better that day. And uh, so it's a completely open book. And getting to work with Elio, it was something he'd never done before. So. Although he was massively more experienced than me, uh, he'd never done sports car racing. So he didn't know what it was like to work with a teammate. And coming from IndyCar, he kind of had that private uh, outlook on how, how to work with teammates. But I think his personality superseded any of that. He's just the nicest guy, super open. Um, I mean, he's like, I tell people this, Ricky, like, because I work on the IndyCar side, right? And so I'm around Castro Nevis and have been for the vast majority of his career. And it probably took a couple of years before I realized, okay, this isn't an act. Yeah. Like, that really is how this guy is, right? I mean, he has his moments, sure. But but for me, the few times that I've seen him have those moments where he's not, like, at 100 miles an hour of happiness, he's come back later and said, like, hey, man, I apologize. Like, he is a genuinely, to me, salt-of-the-earth soul that is just, his his outlook is contagious, right? Yeah. And, and that's the same, uh, uh, you know, opinion I had when, when I first started working with him, like, am I getting Dancing with the Stars LEO? Or is there <laughs> right. like another LEO? Right. And it was Dancing with the Stars LEO every day. And he always wakes up, gets out of bed, extremely excited, extremely happy, living the dream. And uh, we won a championship together, which was which was really cool. Obviously, he's got so many Indy 500 wins that, um, you know, a championship was the last thing on his list. And... Uh, it was really cool to be a part of that. Um, and then for him to win, or even th- throughout driving together for three years, um, as much as I wanted him to just fully commit to sports car racing, the Indy 500 was always his his goal. He wanted to win the fourth. And uh, so once we stopped working together, uh, he went back and, and won another one. And uh, I couldn't be more happy. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Well, you've won a pair of championships. I noticed you brought us a gift. I don't know if it's one of the two Rolexes you have. You've won two <laughs> Rolex 24s, right? I've always wanted a Rolex, to be honest with you. I'm a watch guy myself. Um, I would be wearing both of them on both wrists if I were you. But i got to ask what you brought us in so, here. I am since it's so hot, uh, the guys at the, at the Speedway uh, organized some popsicles. Outstanding. Some popsicles. <laughs> They've had them on dry ice. Wait, did these melt? So the, the, I don't know. <laughs> All right, so Ricky Taylor comes in. One cool customer. You brought a couple pops. I love it. Wow, man, this is like a whole smorgasbord here. We got Thai coffee. What kind do you want here, Eddie? Not so hot chocolate. Is that what you want? Sure, I'll Ricky, take it. You want one? I'm okay. Thanks. Come on now. What do you want, Eddie? Here you go. Man, these are like these are like fudge sickles. What do you want? Come on, Jimmy, take one. Well, yeah, take I'll one. grab one. Thank you. Uh, we might have to have them, but actually, it'll be nice and cool. September 15th, 16th, and 17th. Uh, the the track will be hot, but the temps temps will be good in September. So I know what it means to Roger Penske to have this event at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and to the fans as well. So, uh, Ricky, we we certainly appreciate you stopping by. Wish you the best of luck and have fun out there. All right. Thank you very much. Thank and you. I think fans will be interested in coming out and watch September 15th, 16th, and 17th again. The IMSAtireRack.com Battle on the Bricks. And IMS.com has all of the information. We'll get you ticket information on the other side as well on how you can go out to see Ricky. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
amongst the different classes that are going to be doing the sports cars. And um, again, like I heard, I heard like one o'clock in the morning they were still run- testing out there the oh, other wow. day. I don't know if that's true or not, but Doug Bowles is posting late night videos. Uh, anyway, we'll get you the ticket information on the other side and continue talking about the Colts in Philly tonight. You're listening to Query and Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Okay, I'm not going to lie. Uh, Ricky Taylor dropped off the popsicles. They were more like pudding pops. I don't think they make pudding pops anymore, but they were awesome. Delightful. Did you ever have Jello pudding pops? Do they make them anymore? I don't think they do. I don't think I had a pudding pop before. Bill Cosby did the ads for them, so they probably decided to shut the whole thing down. That's probably um, fair. <laughs> but Jello pudding pops were awesome. But those those things were far superior to that. Um, I've got to look at the name of the company. Because uh, Todd took the box away. I, I asked him to put them in the freezer. I'll dig through the trash for us. But we had, th- those were really good. Um, They're called Nicey Popsicles. Yep. Nicey? Yeah, nice with the Y. I mean, they were good. Eddie, like you, you, which one did you have? It still has the E. The hot chocolate. And you had? Uh, cherry Limeade. Ooh, wow. It was delightful. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I would rival it up there if you get a cherry limeade slush from Sonic. It was right up there. It was it was I, delicious. I initially thought when I took the first bite that I had the cookie batter, but I think it was the latte one. Yeah. But it was really good. Really, really good. But uh, IMS.com, where you can get all of the information for the upcoming in September, 15th, 16th, and 17th IMSA event on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then my understanding is next year that becomes, I believe, a six-hour endurance race in We'll see whether or not they eventually do something uh, at night with the headlights for IMSA. Um, Back to the Colts situation with Jonathan Taylor. We were talking about that. It appears as though, Jimmy, to get everybody up to speed here, to reset it. And I think most people know this by now. But the Colts basically gave Jonathan Taylor the green light to seek a trade. They did what? Sorry. That's right. And what that means is this. That means that the Colts went to Jonathan Taylor and said, listen, we we know that you're not happy, so we are giving you clearance for your agent to talk to other teams. We are, this relationship is now at the point where maybe we should start seeing other people. Maybe we should start talking to other people. And so Jonathan Taylor's agent basically sent out the bulletin that, you know, hey, here's my phone number. Call if you're interested. There have reportedly been just over or around a half dozen teams that have inquired. Miami was one that that from the get-go, there were links that Miami was the team most interested. Yeah, that they make the most sense. And they also, though, have inquired about other backs. Saw Josh Jacobs today. Correct. And Josh Jacobs, to a lot of people, might be more preferred than Jonathan Taylor. It's probably six and one half dozen the other. Um, Dallas has been rumored. But, of course, they had Ezekiel Elliott and let him walk because, they, you know, so how much is Dallas willing to pay for a running back? They have paid running backs in the past, and they paid Zeke at a time when he was about this age. So maybe it's more palatable to stomach for a 24-year-old than it was now a 27- or 28-year-old. But Elliot, Elliot. though, once he started to physically decline... He regressed, as did the O-line as well. But yeah, all across the board. But the point being this, Jimmy, there has not been a single report yet of a team that is willing to part with a first-round pick 
to get Jonathan Taylor. And the Colts are basically saying, we'd like at least a first-round pick to give up Jonathan Taylor. And there is not a team out there, theoretically, that is going to give up a first-round pick for a running back that is coming off injury, that we don't know the depth of that injury, and who has a year left on a contract that wants to be extended. So you know if you get him, you are trade. If you trade a, if you have to trade a first rounder, you are only doing it if you know that you're going to be able to re-sign him. There's a difference because my language here is important. If I was ever to come on here and say I've heard, that would indicate that I've talked to sources or I've talked to somebody close. If I say I've seen, that means I've consumed it from those that are on the beat that are reporting things. I have seen as well that perhaps multiple day two picks would be enough to get the Colts talking. But the first round pick appears to be the bar. But multiple day two picks to me is on the Christian McCaffrey trade level, which is a second, a third, and like a now, future, a couple of future I, picks. I'm raising my hand out of question here. Sure. Day two is what rounds? Because there's three days, right? It, what is it? Is it two through four? I Eddie? think that's yes. right. Correct. And then five to seven is I've day three? I've also seen something where it's like the Carson Wentz trade, where it's a second round pick that can turn into a first. With, with increased levels based on, on how many circumstances. Yeah. Right. yeah. Downs yes. he plays. Yeah. Yes. Because if the bar is if, if the bar is a first round pick, if that's what the Colts have set, then I don't want to like lie is such a strong word. Okay, does that that's mean- a disingenuous exercise to say that Jonathan Taylor's agent can go seek a trade for him because no one's going to give them that. I mean, like no no one's doing it. There, there, there's not going to be. I don't right. think like this feels very extreme to say. But the Colts knew that Jimmy, and what the Colts said was, you know what? Fine, go see what your value is. Have at right. If I went to Urban One Radio, who owns this company, yeah. and I said, you know what, I, I'm just not happy with this. Like I, the, the parking garage where we park, I've got to go down two levels, and and, and then I got to go up elevators, and there's just, there's just a lot of factors about my job that I'm not content with. I'd like to go work for another radio station. If Urban One Radio said to me, like, okay, then you have the freedom because I have a, a non-compete on my contract. If they said, we're lifting your non-compete, you go out there and you find what's out there. You know what? I'm going to find out pretty quickly. I've got a pretty good situation. Sure. And maybe forcing me to look around to see what else is out there illuminates to me that my situation's pretty darn good. Those would be equal comparisons if Jonathan Taylor was a free agent this year. The Colts told him, this is our offer, but hey, go look around and see if there's something else you can find and then come back to us. The extra caveat is, in your scenario, a company would also have to be giving Urban One something in return true. to then pay him. Ain't nobody giving up anything to get me, right? <laughs> but th- the point being, I-, I do think that the Colts, I think the Colts did a power play to Jonathan Taylor to say, see what's out there, and they did so with the understanding that the odds were high that it was going to prove their point and help their value, but. And sometimes this, and I don't want to turn this show into a national guys don't know what they're talking about platform. People have heard that before. But I did see something about the Jonathan Taylor situation where I thought to myself, I thought that was common knowledge. But a new report that came out today from a national standpoint seemed to be news to people, and I thought it was common knowledge. So then I thought to myself, maybe we didn't do a good enough job of making the knowledge common to our listening audience. So I'll tell you what that latest development is about Taylor, and I'll do it next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. One o'clock hour here in Indianapolis on a Thursday. For that matter, it's the one o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern time zone. My name is Jay Query. Jimmy Cook here as well, along with Eddie Garrison. This is Query and Company on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Colts in action tonight in Philadelphia. Preseason game number three. Shane Steichen getting to see his new club take on the players that he is familiar with from his old club. If you're just joining us in the first hour, here's what we've learned. Uh, we learned that Ricky Taylor is going to be racing along with IMSA at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway September 15th through the 17th. As a result of that, he brought by Nicey Popsicles. Which are delicious. Eddie Garrison has the ability to eat a Popsicle in less than two bites, uh, which is <laughs> impressive to witness. Uh, you did the same with the Cherry Limeade, and I went with, I think, three. So we all... Got through those pretty quickly. They were pretty darn good. Uh, yesterday, Jimmy Cook went down to Cincinnati and sat through a soccer match in order to see Messi score, what, one or two goals? He didn't score any, oh, but he, he, he assisted on just two breathtaking goals and then made his penalty kick. Eddie. It was it was, it was up, out of my seat, jaw on the floor type of magic. It was phenomenal. Well, the last jo- one came with like two minutes to play before they were going to be bounced out. I would it was think the awesome. jaw on the floor would facilitate for a deep breath, right? <laughs> yeah, you think. But it was taking it away from <laughs> it you, was. so that's a bit of a conundrum. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I went to Chicago to see the White Sox take on the Mariners, and uh, essentially the entire time thought to myself, there is nothing that would suck more than being... A Major League Baseball player would be a great job, but there have to be those days... It was a 107-degree heat index. And I'm thinking to myself, what would you do if you're the center fielder out there? You got all the – one of the dudes had sleeves on. Well, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, right? And the Mariners had that on the road uniform, so they were wearing, like, grays with blue. And, and I'm just like – I mean, it was brutal. But went up. Uh, apparently, the White Sox won, but I don't know. We left in, like, the sixth inning. But I did bear, uh, buy a pair of socks, literally, at the gift nice. shop. Yeah, they're black, not white. Um <laughs> In terms of the Jonathan Taylor story, and folks, listen, I, I'm well aware of the fact that the news about Jonathan Taylor and the conversation about Jonathan Taylor is probably almost becoming too consuming to the point where hopefully people are, are listening to us and, and hearing what we had to say about it. But it is a huge storyline. There is no question about it. And I think part of what makes it so fascinating is the fact that when you have a rookie quarterback that you're trying to get going – you are hopeful that there are as few bumps in the road and there is little drama as possible. And yet the Colts find themselves as like seemingly Jimmy every year. It's something, right? It's almost like they can't help themselves. I, totally. I know it's not done intentionally, but yeah, I, I know. It's, it's starting I mean, to feel like, hey, hey, things are too calm here, West 56. We need something. So Ian Rappaport, I'm, I'm going to read a, a tweet here from... I hope I'm saying this right. Uh, Dov Kleiman. It says, update. The relationship between the Colts and running back Jonathan Taylor is seemingly so strained that Ian Rappaport says, quote, it's hard to imagine he'd come back to play for them. I'll be surprised if he plays for them. It is possible. I just don't know it will happen. This is a relationship that is not good, not good. Rappaport said that he has not gotten any indication the Colts are willing to do, quote, anything contract-wise. I thought everyone knew this, quite frankly. 
But let, let me go back and kind of recap as I understand it and from what I've heard. And Jimmy, you can do the same, right? Uh, of what what you've heard from the conversations, and you know, for me, from being out there at, at camp and talking to people at camp, and and you know, the bus conversation with Jonathan Taylor, the yacht Jim Mersey, etc. The what's that? The yacht bus. That's right, exactly. Yep. Yacht bus is a good way to say yep. it. Yep. Uh, next to the rooster, who, who <laughs> I'm worried about the rooster. Last two times we were at camp, I did not hear the rooster off of Grand Park. I hope he's okay. Um, but Taylor. And I, and I don't know what the genesis of this thought process was. My suspicion is that last year when Jonathan Taylor hurt the ankle, that there may have been some, you know, difference in opinion, either in the way it was treated what the expectation were or was for a timeline for him. I don't know what the thought process was there in terms of where there was a divide. But there is certainly precedent, Jimmy, when it comes to players being hurt. And there's precedent within this franchise when players are hurt in terms of difference of opinion on how to get it treated. You know, when Edron James had his knee injury, he went to Miami and had, I believe it was Dr. Uribe, do his knee. The Colts wanted him to stay with, an, at the time, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, the Colts wanted him to do, like, with a Colts physician. And he went to Miami, and, you know, and in that case, of course, Jim Mercer and Edron James are literally like brothers of one another. So all's well that it did well, right? When Peyton Manning had his neck procedures, you know, Manning went off site for, if I'm not mistaken, I know he did rehab like in, he was throwing at Duke, and I can't remember where he had the procedures done. Um, and I don't remember there being discrepancy, but there was always like, there was a lot of uncertainty as to, to what the timeline was for him. And I know Manning was frustrated by that. Andrew Luck is the big one. Andrew Luck, when he had the subluxation of the shoulder, he wanted a Stanford doctor to do his procedure, you know, about the snowboarding incident and all that. But he went off-site also. So that's not an indictment on the Colts, but rather to say that there is historical precedent that oftentimes, understandably so, players – if you're an NFL player, Jimmy, your body is your livelihood – that is, an NFL player's body is to him what a paint bucket is to a painter or a, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, is t- A microphone to, to us. A microphone to us. Thank you, Eddie. So, you want to make sure it's in the best shape possible, right? That's your brand. On top of that, for me, if I was a player in the National Football League or any sport, this isn't an indictment on the Colts and it's an indictment on the league as a whole. Man, that was bad. Uh, it's not an indictment on the league as a. It's on an indictment on the league as a whole. If I was a player, I would not trust the team doctor necessarily totally agree to have my best interest. That, that's I totally agree because they're agree worried about the team's and gender. They're totally not worried about mine. Agree with that, and that's again uh, we should make very clear here. That not an is, indictment on the Colts. Correct. You you un, you want to make sure that you are getting the one hundred percent most transparent, honest answer. So therefore, you are w- going to want to go to somebody that has no that does not have any stake in the game at all, right? And so, therefore, and for a lot of these guys, they have grown up, they have played, and done so with a doctor they trust that they feel has yeah. their best interest and stake in the game, right? And so, that's who they're going to go to, and I understand that. So, my my assumption is, 
not factual concrete, but my assumption is based on precedent and normalcy of league that Jonathan Taylor at some point during his rehabilitation of his ankle felt like the information that he had was closer to him or in more in his best interest than the information the Colts were saying or wanting to acquire from him about his injury and thus there began a divide of some sort of in the interest then you combine that with the other factor that cannot be overlooked and that is that Jonathan Taylor is entering the final year of his contract and he's looking at precedent Again, I always go back to precedent. He's looking at precedent within the franchise, and he's saying, okay, Shaquille Leonard was on the pup list. His health was in question. His future was in question, and they extended him. Quentin Nelson had multiple surgeries. His health was in question, and they extended him. I have an ankle injury that... I have talked to my own people and have said A, B, and C about it, and I want an extension, and they're not going to give me one. So Jonathan Taylor, as I understand it, when he met with Jim Mercer in the bus from multiple people very, very, very close to that situation, my understanding is that Jonathan Taylor, in not necessarily glamorous terms, said, I'm not playing here, period. You're not going to extend me? Fine. I don't want to play here. I shouldn't say that he, he didn't say, I'm not playing here. He said, I don't want to be here if you're not going to extend me. So from the Colts standpoint, Jimmy, I totally understand why they don't want to give him extension. There are multiple reasons that the Colts have to not give him and grant him an extension. And there are multiple reasons why Jonathan Taylor would have reason to be PO'd about that and offended by it. But for someone to say today that it appears as though the relationship is strained to the point of potentially no return, I'm thinking to myself, who didn't know that? But in the end, that's what the Colts, that that probably is true, that it's at the point of no return. But the Colts, as I talked about with you two days ago, the Colts are basically saying to Jonathan Taylor, if you want to run, grab your knapsack and your lunchbox and run away from home and go live down the street at the Love's house, go do it. But we are fully anticipating that in like two hours, you're going to be coming back home going, you know what, actually, uh, it's, it's a little bit rougher out there than I thought it was going to be. And that's where they are, right? I agree with everything up to that point because yes the the analogy works and it's true but if the Colts and they have every right to do it because it's a business and they own the rights to Jonathan Taylor if the Colts are setting this bar of what they want in return for him they are giving him the knapsack and letting him go but saying hey there's a 30 foot wall you need to climb first and then you can go find where you want to go because that 30 foot wall is a first round pick like if that's what they want for him then well, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a gesture of bad faith. It is them playing all the cards they have in their hand. But what they're saying to him is this, Jimmy. Okay. How much does Jonathan Taylor want? Reportedly. The figure that was thrown around that was not validated by anybody that I value, Rappaport, Schefter, Chapel, Holder, anybody that covers the beat, was $16 million right, okay. range. So let's say that that's inflated. And let's say that the reality is it's 80% of that, okay? So 20% of that off would be $3.2 million, so you're looking at 12.8. So let's say 12 to 13, 11 to 13. Saquon Barkley got $11 million, okay? Let's say that Jonathan Taylor thinks that he is 10% better the back than Saquon Barkley. That's $1.1 million. 11 plus, so now we're at 12.1. So let's say 12, 12 and a half, somewhere in there, right? That's what he wants. Yep. Fine. 
$12.5 million is typically given as a second contract to a player who has performed at, at the running back position at least, as a top probably five player, right? Top five players in their respective positions in the NFL typically are drafted at what round? First, first, right? First or second. So what second, the Colts yeah. are saying to Jonathan Taylor is simple. What the Colts, Jimmy, are saying to Jonathan Taylor is, and what the Colts are saying to the rest of the league in sending out the feeler is, we want a first rounder for Jonathan Taylor. The reason they're saying that is simple. It's 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 a totally smart and strategic financial move by the Indianapolis Colts sure. because they are saying to Jonathan Taylor, fine. We are giving you permission to seek a trade, and we want everybody to know that for that trade to happen, we need to get a first-round pick back. Why a first-round pick? Not only because they want to get a good player, but more importantly because when then Jonathan Taylor is and his agent are not able to find a franchise that is willing to give up a first-rounder for them, then the Colts are going to say to him, see, there is no other team in the National Football League that deems your value to be the equivalency of a first-round draft pick. And the equivalency of a first-round draft pick is a $12.8 million extension, which we are showing you the rest of the league doesn't believe you're worth, so we don't either. But the, That's why we're not extending you. But the equivalency of a first-round selection in today's NFL – for franchises that don't regret it. And Kansas City is a prime example of a team that had the luxury to do this and they made a mistake doing it, is taking a running back in the first round. That is not a commonplace exercise anymore in today's NFL well, of course. where it works out. And so, like, and the other half to this, and maybe this is an indictment on Ballard, a legitimate one at this, if I'm the Colts and I legitimately got a second and a fourth, let's just say for the sake of argument, that's it. Second and a fourth this year, Running backs are a diamond, like they are. Running backs at a hole, if you can run the ball well as a franchise, you can get away with it by committee. Elite ones are special, but they are a diamond dozen position in today's NFL. A competent, successful GM would be able to make up for the loss of Jonathan Taylor with a couple day two picks. I totally agree. And again, like that shouldn't be enough for me to balk at the idea of moving on from him if they get that offer. And maybe they haven't yet. But Jimmy, what I'm saying to you is this. There are two motivations here. There's the reality of what the Colts would really take. Sure. And there's the perception of what they're telling Taylor they would take to make a point. They're making a point to him. They're making the point to him of, cool. Cool, you're right. You're right. We should give you $13 million. You've been a wonderful player. You're right. And that is the money that typically a guy that's like a first-round pick gets in his second contract or a guy who has played. Like, there are guys. Jonathan Taylor would be one of them. He's a second-round pick. Theoretically, or, or not theoretically, legis- like legitimately, he was a second-round pick. But he is wanting extension money that, and Chris Ballard has said it. Jim Irsay has said it. We take care of our own. If you play hard, you play well, we take care of our own. And Jonathan Taylor is saying, okay, prove that to me. So what they're saying to him is, well, hang on. We take care of our own, but with caveat, depending on the price tag. At other positions, a guy that plays well that was a third-round pick, fourth-round pick, second-round pick. Shaquille Leonard, he wasn't a first-round pick, but they're not paying him like a first-round pick because he played like one. Jonathan Taylor has played like one. But what they are making clear to him is you have played like a first-round pick and you have played like a guy that should get paid like one. We understand that. Except for what you did in that 
form and what you have brought to the table now is not as important to us anymore. Number one, because of the position you play. But secondly, and this goes back to the other thing that I was talking about. It's not about him anymore. It's not. He was a very critical piece for the Colts when when Carson Wentz first got here, Jimmy. I thought he showed an athleticism. He was a big guy. He could slide in the pocket. He could make some throws. And he had played well in Philly before his injury. And when the Colts signed him, I thought, okay, if he can play like he did pre-injury, they've got a really good player here and, and one that is still entering his prime. And I think the Colts thought to themselves, this is perfect. Young guy, big, mobile, big arm. We can get some good receivers around him, and we have a talented, dynamic, let's move up in the draft to get him offensive weapon in Jonathan Taylor. And literally, Chris Ballard and Jim Irsay and Frank Reich, they went to bed at night with visions of Wentz and play action with Jonathan Taylor and finding an open Pittman or a streaking that they went that was dancing in their head like sugar plum fairies, right? <laughs> yeah. And then it turns out Carson Wentz regressed, was weird. Ursay didn't like him. Ursay had the wrong feeling about him, and we can go into the COVID thing all we want, but I don't really have any interest in that. I think it was beyond that. That didn't help. But Ursay already was rubbed the wrong way by Carson Wentz, period. Not only as a player, but more so just as He just was. I'm just telling you. Ursay was rubbed the wrong way by Carson Wentz and was uncomfortable with him and didn't necessarily want that being the guy. that. And then when the Colts needed it most, Carson Wentz basically threw up on himself and they missed the playoffs. And so Ursay said, that's it. And at that point, Chris Ballard thinks, oh, man, I had found my answer. That was everything was pinned on. I knew when I had Phillip Rivers that I was going to have him for, you know, first it was Jacoby Brissett because you had the the, uh, the the retirement, which, by the way, was today's the anniversary, I think, of Andrew Luck's retirement. But Ballard knew finally that he had found a quarterback that he could build around in Carson Wentz. And then all of a sudden, Carson Wentz throws up on himself, and Jim Irsay got tired of, of throwing the little wood chips on it. And so he went into Chris Ballard and said, do something else. So Ballard thought, oh boy, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Uh, holy cow, Matt Ryan just showed up on a fire sale. Let me get him. And did not realize that it was weekend at Bernie's. And he's like, this guy can't play dead. And we're trying to get him to, but he can't. Yeah. And then, so then Ballard says, okay, now I'm at like plan C, which is I'm finally going to have to do what every GM at some point has to do, and that's bite the bit really hard and draft a franchise quarterback and build around them. And so he said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And at that point, the sugar plum fairies and the thought process of Carson Wentz doing play action to a 24 year old Jonathan Taylor in his prime. That's a 1500 yard back went out the window because he said to himself, by the time I've got a quarterback now that's able to do that kind of thing, Jonathan Taylor is going to be six years and 220,000 miles into his career. 
So the timelines don't add up. So thank you so much. We loved what you did for us, but we just don't have the need for you anymore. We, we bought you were a super really nice winter coat that we bought for ourselves when we were living in Indianapolis, but we just moved to Miami and we don't need it anymore. That's to me that it's that simple. And maybe that's it's funny because it's simple, but it's complex. Does that make sense? Yes. But I just if you're Taylor, you've got to be sitting there thinking to yourself, where now? I mean, where does he go? I, you know, does he come back? I mean, I he's think, trapped until the Colts finally give away the winter coat. Like he, he, we, we tell him they don't need him the anymore. Col- I mean, the Colts have the leverage, right? But they don't, they don't not need him anymore to the point that they're willing to just give him away. And I don't blame them. You shouldn't ever do that in business and life. Like, it's not a successful business operation. Just give away your best personnel for nothing. It's not what I am inviting the Colts to do here. But. We're at a point where if the bar is set at a first-round pick, and I understand how we've outlined that of why it would be that and what messages they're trying to send to him, then it's all going to come down to what happens next week because they're not going to get an offer for first-round pick. It's not happening. If that's the bar, he's not getting traded. Next week when they have roster cutdowns, if he's still on the pup, that's very enlightening to this entire conversation because he misses four games, yeah. and then it no longer is a gamesmanship move of, oh, my back hurts a little bit, and you know I just I don't feel right to be out there with you guys. Now it is, okay, something is legitimately wrong here. He can't participate in the first four games. If he's not on that pup and he's on the active roster, then he's suiting up week one. Because he's not getting out of town unless he decides to take the financial penalty and risk being back in this same situation again next year without a year of service time under his belt because he doesn't play for them this year. Or he plays this year under a $4 million contract and we do the same song and dance over again next year. Because if I'm the Colts and he performs at a high level, I'm tagging him next year. Right. Well, and, that's, then, and then and having sure, the song and, he and knows dance that. again. And he knows that, right? He knows that. The thing is, Taylor, it's in Taylor's best interest to get out there and play somewhere yeah. because he wants to show he's in a contract year, right? It's hard, it's hard to show your value in a contract year when you're not playing. So he's kind of in a rock, rock and a hard place. So, But I think he is – he does not want to be here. But he's. But it may turn out that he doesn't have much of a choice. Because it's not a carrot dangling in front of him for this contract year. It's a carrot that's spoiled because there's not a big contract right. of riches waiting totally. for him. It's a $10 million well, tag. And not only that, here's the other problem. I mean, the Barkley thing really threw a curveball at him. Because when Saquon Barkley, who is a better player, set, you know, basically tried to play hardball for like a week. Like Saquon Barkley got up on a Monday morning and was like, "That's I'm, I'm telling right now, I'm going to represent all the running backs and I'm going to stand up to it and I'm going to tell these guys, down with the tyranny, running backs for life. Yep. And then on Wednesday, he's like, yeah, actually I'll sign for 11 million because there's nothing out there. Uh, by the way, when, when I knew that I was moving to the midday slot, which I did on Monday, um, one of the things I thought to myself was, you know what, I, like I love the fact that now that I'm – you know, it's 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 different because when you're doing morning radio, people are getting up and you're the, you're you're their soundtrack while they're getting ready for work and they're getting the kids ready and they're making breakfast and then they're on their way to work in the car. When you do midday, it's a little bit different because people are already ingrained in their day. They're if they're listening to you, then obviously, which I, I greatly appreciate, people are either like out on on lunch or they're at work and they've got it on in the background. And um, you know, I've had guys in the past when I've done later day radio shows that would call in. I think they were hiding under their desk because they didn't want people to know that they were calling from work. But I did think to myself, Jimmy, I want to get more interactive with like listeners themselves and make them. I want this show to be like. Uh, the query and company, the end company is yourself, right? Um, and and I want 
that to also include listeners. Like, I want people to feel like they're part of this show, that it's not just necessarily a two-person conversation, but a totally interactive one, be it social media, be it the YouTube page, and notably, next with phone calls as well at 239-1070. I'd like to know, aside from the Jonathan Taylor situation, what things most intrigue people tonight and what they're going to be looking for when they take on Philly, and we can discuss that as well. Sound good? Sounds good to me. So phone calls as well, 239-1070. It's Query and Company here at 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. By the way, let me give a little glimpse into life here. The, the headsets that I'm wearing, Jimmy Cook, what, what do you notice about them? The cords look like they could be used it, by a it giant. It looks like the length say. of like an anaconda well, or a... Like I could jump rope this thing, right? Yeah. So, so literally 17 times per show, I either step on the cord, I roll over the cord it gets caught in the chair and then like the these things fly off of me i can't hear anything i live by a byoh lifestyle bring your own headphones yeah that's yeah, probably smart do you are those your own headphones mm-hmm. yep are they expensive headphones got them when they were on sale 100 bucks i think it's not bad i i wouldn't i would i wouldn't trust that i would remember to take them home i forget I, I forget to bring them see i Knock on wood, I've yet to forget to take them home, but I've forgotten to bring them in studio before, and then I have to use these ones, and one of them sheds on me, and it's just, it's tough. Yeah, that, that one is. Now, people laugh at me because I, I got I got mocked for this once. Somebody took a picture, I, I was on a plane, I think, and I was wearing, do you know what earbuds are? Mm-mm. Earbuds are basically earbuds that kind of lock in. They're, it's hard to explain, but they're a little bit bigger, but you put them in and then turn. And I love them because they're basically like, it's almost like they're custom made for for your ear itself. They're not, but but they, they just don't come out and they're totally waterproof, but they're wired. Now I have AirPods, right? But, the, but I'm telling you, like the sound quality of them and the reliability of them, they, first off, you never have to charge them. Sure. So it's not like you're on an, if you're on an airplane, and you're you've oh I know what you're talking about I know what you're talking about yeah they're great yeah and like they're the the quality of sound is better than an than an AirPod and if you're on a four hour flight you don't have to worry about the AirPod you know the battery dying down you just, and people are like why in the world would you be listening to like you're using wired headsets what what do you like you use a beta player also well yeah probably I mean most battery powered headsets though like these for instance have about twelve hours of life with them unless you're flying cross country you're going to be fine well that's what i'm talking about like if you're flying like i think i was flying to actually i think it was to be honest with you it was a flight that i was taking from here to barcelona so it was an eight-hour flight and i'm like yeah i mean i'm you know airpods won't get you there most over-ear headsets like these beats will but yeah but i'm telling you like the if i gave them if you put them in you'd be like okay yeah i get it like because they're super comfortable And, and they're they're great. Like when I work out, they're perfect because they're totally waterproof. Have you ever gotten like w- like water on your AirPods? Yes. Yeah. Forget about it, right? Yeah. 
It's not good. Game over. Uh, Colts tonight in Philly taking on the Eagles. 8 o'clock kick. Pre-game at 5 o'clock. John will take you from 3 to 5, and then we'll hand it over to the Colts Radio Network. Uh, joining us now on the phone lines, we've got two A's lined up. Which one do you want to go with first, Eddie? Let's go with the Colts quarterback, Anthony. That would be Anthony who joins us on line one, but I'm assuming not Anthony Richardson. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Sadly, yeah. My uh, yeah, my checkbook doesn't look as good as his right now. <laughs> that's right. He 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 puts the rich in Richardson. That's for sure. Anthony, do you Ooh, do you I go like by that. Tony ever? Um, just Anthony? Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I do go by Tony. It's just everyone who knows me. Unless my mom's mad at me, I'm a, I'm Anthony then, but I'm Tony ninety nine percent of the time. I was gonna say so. Like for me, and I'm not even gonna say what it is. Jake is not actually my birth given name. But I've gone by it since I was like three years old. So if I hear my birth given name, it's very uncomfortable for me. So do you want me just to call you Tony? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Tony, Tony, Tony. All right. What's on your mind, Tony? All right. Well, well see, now I'm curious on what your actual real name is. Yeah. But. You know what? Um, Kevin used to say it on the air every once in a while. And I'm like, yeah, man. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this, Tony. I, I, I must have missed it. I will give you this. You ready? Sure. So you know that my name is Jake. Right. I was born in 1972. How old a fella are you, Tony? I'm 34. 34? Yeah. Okay. When I was a, a wee lad, my name, my birth given name, I believe was the number one most common birth name for probably the first half of the 70s. And as a result of that, my mom was a preschool teacher and noticed that every third kid had my name. So she began calling me Jake to differentiate. And it somewhat relates to it's my birth given name. Kind of. Not relates to, but like it's in the ballpark. So I will give you one guess, and if you're correct, I'll let you know. Okay. Your guess is? Does it end with an OB? Uh, no, actually, my life began with an OB. Uh, Dr. Turgeon is the one that delivered me, but no, my, my name does not end with an OB. No. All right, well, um, transition. Uh, no, um, I just kind of want to talk about Taylor a little bit because I, you know, the Players Union or the uh, NFLPA, you know, I've, I've been part of a union for a long time now, and, you know, everything's for the greater good, no matter how much it kind of sucks or stinks. He's, you know, he's still making four and a half million dollars this year, even though I know the next year is not guaranteed. But this, you know, because what the uh, the the NFL and the Players Association met a couple years ago, right? And this is just kind of the way everything's playing out. I understand it's frustrating. So you okay? So you are, you are in a union, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Tony, I think what happened is this, and I get what you're saying. Um, I think what happened is that Taylor, the the NFL Players Association, and this stuff becomes, Tony, a little bit out of my level of comprehension, admittedly. Right, right. But I think that Taylor and – Yeah, I'm trying to soak it all in, too, because, like, being in the union and and then also being able to make, like, millions of dollars, like – I, I, I'm trying to soak it all in, and I break it down in my little brain. Well, and, and that's the thing, Tony. I mean, the reality is that the reality is that these sorts of numbers it becomes impossible for the common man, right? There, there is no relatability to it. Okay, um, but and Jimmy, you help me out in my comprehension of this. My understanding is that basically 
Jonathan Taylor and probably Saquon Barkley wanted to reestablish the market value for the running back position. I didn't really understand what Ursay was talking about when he said like the NFL Players Association had an agreement. I didn't. It was beyond my level of comprehension as to what issue he was taking of where they were bucking the Players Association agreement. I mean, but I think they were trying to reestablish the determined running back market value. And I think Jim Ursay felt like he had a responsibility to basically represent his own union, which is the union of, for lack of a better phrase, of owners, in saying, I'm going to be the one that makes sure that people understand where the market value is for running backs, and I'm going to be the owner that speaks up for it and represent my ownership brethren. And Jim Irsay basically was willing to fall on that sword and, and be the one to, to, to be the face of that stance. And that's where we are. Even though oftentimes the owners are the ones that win these negotiations of the CBA, Jim Irsay was right in his tweet in saying that it takes weeks, months, hours, and hours of time. And any gripes you have as a Players Association, that is the time for those battles to happen. They didn't use that process to address the running back. So group. that's what it was. Okay. And so he's pushing back and saying, we worked tirelessly to get an agreement done. We have it done. And now a specific position group and their agents are trying to undermine all that work. But that agreement was what? The, the work that they agreed to was what? That that he feels is being bucked. The market value? It, it could be... Because a lot of the players that aren't in JT's situation aren't happy about the tag, right? Right, right, so right. So it could be that it's and a $10 the tag million is, valuation. The franchise the tag. tag is primarily used on running backs, yes. And so I think he probably is trying to avoid the franchise tag, right? Yes. And Jonathan Taylor... At least in my shoes, when I look at everything that happened this summer that did not involve him but involved running backs, he saw another wave of running backs thinking about going the Le'Veon Bell route before realizing it's a losing path. We're just going to submit to the tag or submit to, oh, I got to restructure with an extra million dollars because it's a losing battle. And he's trying to get a year out in front of that and say, you're not going to weaponize the tag against me because I'm going to weaponize my last year of my rookie contract against you and try to get the extension beforehand. I'm done playing the tag games that every other running back before me has tried to fight. Aaron, what's up? Yeah, I'd like to, you know, one thing I'm interested in seeing is how this offense is going to look under Shane Steichen compared to, you know, those before him, Frank Reich. You know, I can deal with uh, 10 plus losses in a season, although that stinks, but if that comes with a little bit of excitement week in and week out, that's better than what we got to watch last year. So, yeah, I think, Aaron, the, the expectation. Um it, it, it feels, does it not, Aaron, a little bit like the Pacers. Like last year, the Pacers were transparent at the beginning of the year of saying like, look, we're going to suck. We know we're going to suck, but just like enjoy the suck and then it'll get better. And people are like, okay, I, I can deal with that because you're upfront about it. And it kind of feels that way, right? Like, doesn't it feel like we might as well be intrigued by and entertained by watching the growth before us because at least they're upfront about that's what it is, right? Oh, yeah, and then the expectations are set low. So then when you have a, a pretty good run like the Pacers did in December, it, it uh, brings a lot more excitement. So better than promising rings and and saying we're, we're all in when that definitely wasn't the case and uh, definitely isn't the case this year. Aaron, let's face it, all chips in, period. We're, we're all in. <laughs> all there we go. In. Aaron, I appreciate it. Um, 
Yeah, listen, in terms of the offense, I think what you're going to see is a lot of Anthony – what's going to be curious is Anthony Richardson, there are going to be design run plays for him, Jimmy. But there are also going to be, as we talked about with Jeff George earlier this week, there are going to be plays where Anthony Richardson is tucking the ball to go, and that's going to be by design. But they probably are wanting it to be by design once multiple checks have not panned out instead of like just two of them. So in other words, when you hear checks, what that means is he drops back, and I'm saying this for people that aren't avid football fans, your primary receiver is Michael Pittman. He's covered. You go to your second one, Alec Pierce, he's covered. You go to your third, Josh Downs is coming across the middle. He's not open yet. So now you're going to your fourth look, your fourth read. You're checking to the different guys. Going through progressions, yeah. Right. In, In a perfect world, you want the quarterback to be able to go through all four of those progressive reads. But there are going to be times where they're going to say, where he is going to say, like, you know what, the clock in my head is going, I'm going to tuck it and run. They would like for that to happen after all four avenues have been exhausted as opposed to just two of them. And that's what's going to happen to him as a younger player, I think, is he is going to be less patient with going through those because it's you, you feel the clock ticking and you don't realize the time that you have. We'll continue the conversation and the phone calls and then Sage Steele in 15. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Closing in on the 2 o'clock hour, Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here as well. Back to the phone lines. We're talking a little Colts, so we'll take a couple more calls. Let's go to Todd joins us. Been waiting patiently. Todd, what's happening? How are you? Hey, what's happening, Jake? How are you? <laughs> it's what's happening, Todd, my favorite all-time caller. Todd, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm glad you guys are talking Colts because I'm going to tell you why they're basically going to win pretty much every one of their games going up next season. Are you ready for it? Yeah, go ahead, Todd. Okay, look, what what we don't hear about a lot, actually at all, we don't hear about guys like DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Shaq Leonard, I guess we hear a lot about him. I would even throw Julian Blackman in the mix on that. He's just coming off a massive injury. Even Kenny Moore, the second. And quite frankly, I'd put their kicker in there too, Matt Gay. These are all guys that came here to win, Okay. And, you know, Chris Ballard has said it's not going to be one guy that dictates the performance in our in our locker room. But at the end of the day, this team is a bunch of winners. And the Jim Mercer, that that's my owner, man. And I don't think he's wrong about what he's doing here. I think it's some kind of – I don't know if you want to call it a, a science project on business, but, like, let him go test the market, you know? I think Jonathan Taylor's coming back no matter what. There's not a chance that uh, – I don't think anybody's going to give him a first-round pick. He's going to come back. He's going to play hard with the rest of the guys that I just talked about. And we're going to go out there and basically win every game and take this thing to the Super Bowl. How about that? So you think this year, Todd, the Colts are going to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I got, I got no reason not to believe that. Okay? And if any pro – if there's any – Todd, any Todd pro, while I've got you here, Todd, I'm curious. What's your forecast for this radio show that I'm doing? I, I just started on Monday. What is your forecast, Todd, for my radio future? Your forecast for your radio future? Am I hearing that right? Yes. 
I think you've had a great future, Jake, and I think it's going to continue. So keep working hard. <laughs> I just wanted to carry over from the eternal optimism, Todd. Always appreciate well, look, it. And- listen, but think about it. Think about all the folks that are telling us, like, people that are calling Shane Steich and crazy because they're starting Anthony Richardson the first game of the year and he came out with it. He's the only pro. He's the one that interviewed for this job, and quite frankly, I trust that guy over any pundit, if you will, that says it's the wrong thing to do. Todd, I don't think that he's crazy for starting him. That's what I want them to do, but it's not because I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. It's because I want to see him grow and develop because he's a very raw, unproven talent. Well, then give him some time then, Jimmy. Give him some time to watch this team, and maybe you'll think a little bit different after the first four or five games when you start seeing a Super Bowl team that's on the field. They've got players, guys. They really do. Todd, They've just out of curiosity, play hard. who's going to win the Indy 500 this year, Todd? <laughs> hold, on, hold on, Jake. Let me finish my thought because I swear this makes sense. They've got players. they got players and winners that are going to go out there and play hard and Look, they've got a team that can that can take this all the way, all right? And if you go back, if we're going to go way back, when if you want to go back to Captain Comeback era, when Jim Harbaugh basically threw it to Aaron Bailey, and I think he caught that ball and took it to the Super Bowl, that was a 9-7 that was a nine and seven team, guys. So everything's a crapshoot once you get it to the playoffs. We just need to win the division, get it to the playoffs, and make a run for the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, Todd, lastly, because we're up against it, winner of the Indy 500 is, who's your annual pick? Well, I don't think anybody's going to pick up Charlie Kimball, but that'd be my pick. <laughs> if he gets in the race, he's going to win it, right, Todd? That's right, but All Alex right. Pelot's the best driver on the circuit. Well, there's no doubt about that. Pelot's going to return to Ganassi, I think. It certainly appears that way. I appreciate it, Todd. Gino, stick around. We'll get to you here in just a little bit. But up next, she had a 16-year run at ESPN. Her career began at Wish Television here in Indianapolis after graduating from Carmel High School and Indiana University. And Sage Steele joins us next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Two o'clock hour is underway. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program, Eddie Garrison is flying the controls for us this afternoon. It's Quarian Company here on 93.5107.5. The fan joining us now on the program. She just completed a 16, I believe 16 and a half year run at ESPN. And of course, as I had mentioned, a graduate of Carmel High School in Indiana University, who I think actually has me mistaken for somebody who she knew well at IU uh, and liked, which is cool with me. But Sage Steele joins (laughs) us on the show. Uh, Sage, first off, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Congratulations, Jake Query and company. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I here's the thing. Um, doing middays after working morning radio is, I mean, Sage, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, morning radio is tough, right? I mean, I, I, like I got, yeah. I, I enjoyed doing it. I love doing it. But getting up early is, is something, man. You know what I mean? You know what? When I first started at ESPN in 2007, I crashed and burned on Sports Center. They they demoted me a lot. I mean, and I listen. I struggled. <laughs> it's a long story for the book someday. However, the first consistent gig I got after that was on Mike and Mike doing Sports Center updates 
live at 6 a.m. Um, and, you know, live is live at that time of day. It's tough. And then there's TV live where you have to have a face on and cute clothes and pretend like, like your brain is actually working with a smile. Mike and Mike told me, Golik and Greeny told me at that time, they've been doing it for, you know, however long, decades. And they're like, you never get used to it, no matter what. And I never did. And thank goodness I wasn't on it for too long because it's just not even healthy. It's not. So congratulations. Yeah, it's tough for sure. Uh, I enjoyed it. But to your point, um, you do think about those things, especially when, at least in my case, you start to get old. Um, Sage, let's go back to that. You know, in terms of your, your journey at ESPN, and the various capacities that you had, you obviously ascended to the point of becoming, um, if not the one of certainly the faces of the organization. And then obviously now no longer with ESPN has kind of the realities of what took place settled in for you. And for those that are unfamiliar with it, why is Sage Steele no longer at ESPN? Okay, those are two deep questions, Query. Um, have I have I gotten used to it? No. I've been working since I was 15. I've been at ESPN since I was 34 years old. Um, I, I mean, it is what it is. Age is just a number, and I'm really young and cool and immature mentally. <laughs> I'm 50 now, so my goodness, that's a good portion of my adulthood, and certainly when I got there, my kids were 11 months old, two and four. They're now 17, 19, and 21, two in college, one a year away from college. So it's been, it's all, it's all I've known. It's all they've known. Even when you know something is coming and it's pretty imminent, um, when it actually happens, it's like, no. So it's strange. I don't really know what to do with myself because I've had to be so structured for so many years. And I do love the structure. And as a military kid, a military upbringing, I, I thrive on that structure and that high pressure, to be honest with you. Um, and I kind of had, I mean, my lawsuit went for a year and a half almost. Um, so I kind of had a long time to mourn, so to speak, mourn the ending, even though I didn't know when it was going to happen. Once you file a lawsuit against your employer, <laughs> like you know it's, it's going to end prematurely, you know? So I knew it was coming. No matter what, I'll, I will tell you this, I, I'm heartbroken at how it ended. I'm heartbroken over feeling like I had to make a decision to the point where it, to have to stand up for myself. I don't feel like I should ever have been in that position. And you know, there's a lot of people who just say, you know what? Just stay quiet and shut up and get your money and do your job, your dream job. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of people have done, and not just in TV, not just at ESPN, like all across the country, just shut up and get. And I had done that for many, many years. So this goes into your second question. Like that's why, that's why I'm not there, because I had a decision to make that was very personal, um, as far as how I want to be treated uh, as an employee as a very, very loyal employee. And when there are different rules for different people, that's when I find it unacceptable. All I ever wanted was consistency. And if everyone else can speak their mind about many topics that have zero to do with sports, even on ESPN's platforms and on their social media, then I can do the same, um, especially when it's issues that are I'm asked about that are pertaining to me and my decisions in my life as a biracial woman with a, a, a vaccine mandate, et cetera. So um, I, I made a decision, and it was a decision I knew would change my life by deciding to stand up, especially because it was so public. And I worked for a massive, worked past tense, we were for a massive company. Um, I don't regret a thing, Jake. 
I I have a really strong faith and I know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, even though I don't know what tomorrow brings. I'm really at peace with it, even though I'm still trying to adjust to everyday life. It's only been, you know, what, nine days? days so give me a minute well the thing that i think that would be tough sage and i commend it you, you know it's it's interesting to me there's a quote from voltaire and i don't know if voltaire actually ever said this or if it's just attributed to him amongst many other people but the quote is i may not agree with the word you say but i'll defend to the death your right to say it and i think that there are people you and i i think um disingenuous to say we know each other well but we know each other i think in many areas we we think differently but it doesn't impede the fact that we are friends with one another and that we respect the other's opinions even if it's not the opinion that's best for us And, and i think that's difficult for people and did you find it frustrating that that was at least from my observation and you tell tell me if i'm off base but that was all you wanted was that understanding is that fair Yes, and frankly, whether it's a corporation or a neighbor, a friend, an acquaintance, if you're pushing and preaching about diversity and equity and inclusion and tolerance and acceptance, to me it begins and ends with diversity of thought, period. Like, I have no more patience for people picking and choosing which kind of diversity they want to accept, and that's all I ever wanted. That's all that, you know, many companies preach. And but then to not practice it or pick and choose when you practice it, um, I I think it's bad business, and I think I don't think it's fair or right. What I'm hoping comes from this, and and that's the thing. This is so much bigger than me. It really is. My hope and prayer is that others don't have to make these kind of decisions to choose between doing what's right for you morally, um, financially in every way, and, you know, your job, your career, your livelihood. And for me, that's what I had to choose. Most choose to just kind of stay quiet and be silent and take it. And I get it. I did that for years. Here's the thing. I don't care about anyone's politics. And by the way, I've never once told anyone who I vote for publicly ever. I I don't go on any platform really screaming about politics per se or candidates because I don't care what you think. I I really don't, you meaning the world, and it shouldn't matter who I vote for as well. This is, these are about issues that certainly are hot button issues and I love how people assume they know your politics, so to speak, just by the opinions you have on one or two or three issues. But if I base my friendship and my relationships on people's opinions and political standings, I, I, I don't know. My, my friendships might look quite different, but the people that I choose to have in my life love me for me. I love them for them, and it has nothing to do with their opinions on hot-button issues or politics or cultural issues. Like, stop. And to me, it's, it's all about accepting everybody in every way. It's amazing how we're so quick to say, yeah, you know, uh, all the other areas today with LGBTQIA plus and how you want to identify and and whatever you want to say about yourself and how you want to identify great, except here, you know, so the hypocrisy is thick. And I really hope that by standing up that others can feel empowered themselves too and not be scared. Do you know how many people have come up to me or written me, people that I work with? Uh, a lot more men than women, to be honest with you, quite often who pull me aside and say, Thank you. I wish I had 
the ability or the courage to do what you're doing. And, and, and some do and choose not to, and some don't have the ability to because of whatever reason, finances, their, their family, how, what they would think. It is always a choice though. It took me a long time to make it and it's just mine. Everybody else can do what they want and think what they want about me. And I'll end with this, cause I'm sorry, I just rambled. You got me going, Jake. Like at the end of the day, I, <laughs> I think one of the best things that I've learned through this process, probably over the last five or six years, what freedom you gain when you let go of thinking, of caring about what everybody else thinks of you. It's easier said than done, especially when you're in an industry like ours. But I feel so much relief by finally letting go of trying to please everybody, the world, as a woman, a, a mother, and an employee. It's okay if you don't like me based on my opinions. That's fine. That's your loss. I'm kind of fun. But I've let go, and that's, been, that's provided a lot of peace for me. I think the thing, Sage, and listen, you are obviously, I don't even begin to imagine the stage on which you were performing, you know, is is Broadway and, and I'm performing at Footlight Theater here at 11th and Alabama or whatever it is, right? I, I get it. But there are some comparisons in the fact that, and I wanted to ask you about this, like, was it difficult to finally be open and transparent with yourself, which then allowed for people who would have considered you based on your position to be untouchable to then show them that you are in fact vulnerable and that you were willing to expose that vulnerability in order to, for the for the first time, put up your own defense. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? I understand. No, because you, you said it to kind of be quiet with myself and, and think about the risk that it is and being vulnerable? Well, in other words, I think that when we when you when you're doing what you're doing, you're Sage Steel of ESPN, you're traveling around, you're on national television, you go to airports, people know who you are, and the perception of the viewer is that you have this perfect life and this perfect job. And yeah. and so therefore you have to to an extent, you have to portray that character on yeah. television that you have this perfect life and this perfect job whereas in reality for the first time to show them who you are is actually to show them that you are in fact vulnerable and was that yeah. difficult to tear down that character this is going to sound silly but um instagram has actually helped me with that unknowingly it sounds so silly here's let me explain um i i think i felt a long time ago this this whole you know pressure to show happiness and everybody i think who's on, on social media should be aware right it's like okay there's instagram and then there's real life so i actually have had a lot of fun with it over the last several years especially with my kids and showing the reality you know i will blow my kids up and i'm like listen i told you to clean your room and it's a disaster and you have 20 minutes or i'm gonna come in and do an instagram story on you because all their friends follow me and it works so um, the room ends up being pretty clean. But the, the point is, is that like, guess what? I might, you know, portray, not perfection certainly, but just this, um, this certain life on TV because number one, I loved my job, loved to the very last day I was on the air. And that's where I get choked up because I loved it and I regret nothing. Um, but I also, you know, it's like, okay, yes, I'm a smiling face. I'm talking to 
you know, name any big athlete in the world and what a blessing that is. And I have makeup, great makeup and hair. Hair is never so great. And wardrobe. And, and, and then, yeah, the life is amazing. But I wanted people to see the other side. I wanted people, especially other mothers, to see that I deal with crap with my three kids, too. I got divorced four years ago. That's been, oh, my gosh, it's been brutal. What I have found, Jake, is the more vulnerable I have been, the more people have kind of flocked towards me in a, in a private way saying, thank you for sharing this. I know I'm not alone because people are afraid to show this imperfection. Like I have enjoyed it and it's almost been therapeutic for me to show that other side. There's work, we all have to clean it up at work, but then there's the other side. And I think if we just let go of that attempt to, to be perfect, it really takes off so much pressure at work, you know, maybe with my peers, I quit caring about what they think years ago because they kind of, many of them showed their true colors a long time ago. So that was really easier. Um, but I think what a blessing to let go of that, of that desire to be so perfect, which trust me as a little girl, as a young woman, and even probably till about five years ago, to be honest with you, I was so worried about what everyone thought and my bosses and proving, let me prove to them how dedicated I am. Let me prove this. And then it was never enough. But that's not on them. That's on me to adjust how I think about myself and how I choose to portray myself. And that has been the biggest gift is, is to let go and be your best whenever you can. Be honest. And others have really, you know, drawn towards me and said, thank you for sharing that about your personal life. And I, I think it's, I think everybody wins when we can just be ourselves. And I know it's so hard to get there, but I hope by sharing, I can help others get there too sooner, if that makes sense. You loved your job, Sage, but was, did you finally reach a point where you felt it didn't love you back? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Can we um, put that in bold lettering? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that was one of the hardest things to accept. It's like, wait, in general, you're encouraging everybody to be true to themselves and be themselves and get out there and do that. But not me. So that was definitely a very difficult, big fat pill for me to swallow. And um, to accept that was tough. And then it's up to me. What am I going to do with it? So it doesn't mean that I was like, yes, let me find a way to get revenge. I don't know. It's not what this was. It would have been so much easier, so much easier to just stay quiet and safer. And um, my kid, for on my on everybody on my kids uh, financially, but and I know I think I might may have told you this before, and and some people might roll their eyes at it, but for me, it has led me in my life so many different ways, and it's from my dad, who was a football player at West Point. He broke the color barrier, first black man to ever play varsity football at West Point, all American, drafted in the NFL. Like he's my guy, and as kids, he made us memorize part of the cadet prayer and, and this is the portion and I hope it will explain why I, I chose to do this. Um, help me to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong and to never tell a half truth when the whole truth can be won. So this is definitely the harder right for me. I'm not saying it's wrong for others to stay silent. For me, it was the harder right. And guess what? I can finally tell the whole truth, not just half of it. So basically, in summary of all of that, Sage, in terms of for those that are unfamiliar, 
tell me if this is a fair statement if I was doing a book report, which I never really did well on my book reports, but um, the book of Sage Steele would be this, and that is that she had a job that she loved. She had a company that she worked for that gave her the opportunity to achieve a childhood dream, but ultimately she couldn't get past the fact that she felt like there were stipulations on things that she was able to say and it bothered her because she felt like that was limitation of the actual freedoms that that job should have been able to afford her to exercise it properly and accurately. I would tweak the end because it isn't about I should be able to say this and me, me, me. It's about being consistent with the rules and how we handle things with with each front-facing employee and all i wanted was consistency and if some people are allowed to get out there and talk about you fill in the blank all of the things (laughs) from what was happening in in florida with the parental act uh, to um roe v wade being overturned and to be able to talk about that on our airways personal opinions on our airways but i can't talk about things privately on a podcast. Um, privately meaning things that have affected me personally, not privately personally. Um, and then I'm publicly forced to apologize. And they put out statements and take me off the air. So, no, all I wanted was consistency. So the parameters of what you're allowed to say should not be determined based on what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. Period. Pretty easy. But Same. I'm going to tell you this. I don't regret, like... I don't regret a thing, Jake. And most importantly, I loved, loved my job. And I loved so many of the people with whom I worked. And I, I, I have no regrets. I got to live out the dream that most people in our industry don't get to. So please know how grateful I am for every moment, even the parts that broke me. I'm, I'm really grateful to ESPN and to Disney and to my teammates because that's what they were. They were teammates. Sage, you've mentioned in nearly every interview you've done when your family has come up how important family is to you. As you look at, at what's next for you before you jump into what's next career-wise, how much are you enjoying the opportunity in front of you to spend even more time with your family, particularly your girls? Well, um, my son is a lot easier than my girl. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Boys tend to be easier than daughters. This is what I've learned. Um, my older two left for college, and they left last Tuesday, the day that I was um, flying back from my mediation in Los Angeles. So that hurt. You know, I mean, I said goodbye before. We all knew what was coming, but it hurt to not be there at that moment. And you know what? There's been so many moments through the years that I've missed. And if I wasn't there, then their father was there. So they were fine and taken care of. But as a mother, and I'm pretty traditional, like I, it broke me to not be there for so many things. And guess what? It's different. Now they don't need me as much. But for this last year of, my, of high school, for my youngest daughter, I said to her, I'm like, I'm going to be here. I'm not going to miss anything. And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> you're going to stalk me and be around. I'm like, yep, you're welcome. You win. But guess what? I'm here when she needs me. And I get to choose that for the first time since I became a mother in May of 2002. Like, what a blessing that is. How about my my parents who are older? They just moved to Florida. My dad has two kinds of cancer. Not one. He had to beat his brother and get a second one. They had a competition, apparently. And I get to be there for my mom and dad when they need it. And right now, they kind of need me. If I need to get on a plane, I don't have to ask 
for a day off and, and for someone else to cover for me. I don't have to bargain for a comp day and beg and say, I'll pay it back. I can get on a plane and be there for my parents as, they, as they've been here for me, especially throughout the last two years. They have literally lifted me off the ground at times, um, literally. So that's the biggest blessing, right, is to be able to be there for them. Um, and it's something that it makes me emotional because I've never been able to. And um, I, I'm really... I'm really blessed. Sage, I think one of the things, Sage Steele is our guest, by the way, here on Query and Company on 93.5, The Fan. One of the things that has become very surreal for me is, you know, we, we are the same age. And while, again, as I mentioned, I mean, it's disingenuous to say that we were like really good friends, but we knew each other at, at younger points in our life. You, you lived, we lived near one another in college, and then you were at eight when I was at six. And that doesn't seem long ago to me at all. And you're talking about like your kids going off and, and chasing their dream and being in college and getting ready to start that journey. And it's really weird for me, Sage, because more often than not, I feel like I'm still there and that my parents are in their 50s. And I have to remind myself that, in fact, my parents are not. And I'm the one in my 50s. And that nonstop circle in terms of life itself really is hard sometimes to grasp and as a result of that it is a challenge to realize sometimes that now the adulthood is ours does that make sense what i'm saying like so so i i think it's healthy that the perspective not to not to say you didn't have it but don't you kind of take it as like this blessing that that perspective now has been bestowed upon you i mean i've i've always been very aware of time ticking you know uh, even when my kids were little, and, and I sometimes have to remind myself that I was doing a crazy full-time, very full-time, very front-facing, high-pressure job um, the entire time since I became a mom. That's all they've known. But I, when my third kid was born, my first was still three. Like, it was nuts. And... I, I don't remember much, sadly, because that was just survival mode. But even then, when I was so tired and really scared and didn't know what my future was, and you're just trying to stay on and do well enough to get another contract, you know, I, I remember being like, oh, my gosh, we have to enjoy these moments while we can. And just like that, the kids are gone, you know, and we're talking career stuff and first job for my oldest daughter. Like, where the hell did the time go? And that no. devastates me in many ways, you know. Um, but it's also, I also think we were all reminded during COVID how precious life is, certainly how precious time is. And that's why I, I, I refuse to stay still. Even during COVID, my butt was on a plane every other week going down to, to Florida and be with my parents or wherever. Because I was like, no, 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 we, we can't lose this time. We don't know if we get it back. So we got to live. And it's certainly cliche, but I know that me now more than ever. I'm like, let's go. And I'm trying to experience things. And now I, I, I'm looking forward to figuring out what's next. Um, and I hope to have some answers soon because I'm, I'm enjoying that, that process for sure. Um, but I, I, I know that I, I will never really allow a job to dictate so much in the future because I don't want to regret missing out on time with the, the people that I love. Now, you went down to University of Alabama, spoke to their football program uh, earlier this week, I think it was, or maybe at the end of last week. Um, yeah, it was this Monday. Is, is that something that you have done frequently? My apologies for not knowing that. And then secondly, what was your message to them? Um, I, I have done just speaking gigs like that in general for a long time. Um, I've loved it. 
I used to come back to IU a lot, um, you know, when they would ask, and I loved that. Uh, I think it's so important to pass that on because when I was in college, uh, we, <laughs> I, you know, it was different. And my major at IU, sports communication, broadcast emphasis, very specific. It was a brand new major at the time, and it was in the, in that hyper school, the health, physical, education, recreation. Now it's part of sports media school, journalism school. It's certainly changed, but it was a very young major. I think it was in its first or second year. And, they, and there were no people to come in and speak and, and talk specifically about the career field that these kids are choosing to go into and um, answer questions. And so I, I never had that. So I feel like it's my duty, one that I love, to speak when asked to these kids because it's just part and, and you know what as you may expect I'm really honest too it's like oh this is this is awesome and this is certainly fun and memorable and glamorous and then here let me tell you about this truth as well because if we don't share that no matter what field our kids are going into then that's just that's not right let's help them prepare better than I was prepared um, I do for Alabama by the way that was planned probably three or four months ago um, and let me tell you, there's been a lot of people who've canceled on me. I've lost a lot of opportunities and a lot of money uh, with standing up for myself. Um, and it meant a lot that Coach Saban and crew there said, no, no, we, we want, we're open to all messages, not just one. Not do you call your speaker series, a lot. do you call it sage advice? Because that's what I think it should be called, sage advice. Is <laughs> that what it's called? That's low hanging fruit. I know, so but it's cheesy, Jake. I, I mean, but but that has to be what it's called, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't. I don't have the title for the speaker series because it's so different every time, especially when you're speaking to a, the room with 130 young men and coaches. You know, okay, when you come on stage, woman in there? when you come on stage, do they have to unveil the steel curtain? You see, that's that's better than sage advice, isn't it? No, because they don't. You don't spell it the same way. It's, I have oh, an E on the end. You got to work with me. Come on, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm quitting on you here. My message for them, it, well, it it adjusted, it changed versus what it, it was going to be based on, you know, what happened, had, what had happened six days prior, um, and I really struggled to come up with with the right message. And you know, you're asked to come to these things to share your personal experiences, but then how does it relate to them? You know, so for me, it was. On Monday with Alabama, it was what? What's your why? You know, okay, why are you a football player? Why? Why did you choose that? What is it about it that made it so special? Um, and then as you go forward in life, um, you're going to have a lot of other challenges along the way. And how do you choose to handle them, and why? And and okay, and that that relates obviously to what I just went through. Why did I choose that this was the time to stand up? Um, so it, it made sense <laughs> in the moment, I promise. But it was it was really cool to to me. I love speaking. I love that in person, just because you can see eyeballs, you can see reaction, you can see smiles, or you can see people falling asleep. You can see whatever it is. Um, but I, that that adrenaline is really I, I love that, and it's just like being on, on national TV, except maybe harder. Because you can see reactions, you know. Um, sometimes on TV, actually from day one, I always, I would get so nervous. Always so nervous. Not as much, you know, the last probably five or ten years. Uh, but certainly a lot of adrenaline. And when that nervousness would come, especially I remember when I'm hosting NBA Countdown on ABC, 
live leading into game seven of the NBA finals in Golden State or in Cleveland or something, you talk about adrenaline and, oh, my gosh, there's potentially 30 million people watching. I had to mentally change and pretend like I was that little girl on the couch just talking sports with my dad again. And so in the camera, I would picture my dad's face not the reality. I mean, he was watching, but um, so were a couple million other people. And that's what kept me somewhat calm. It's harder when you have eyeballs. And I, and, but I love that challenge because it's so much easier. It looks so much easier than it really is. And that's, that's something I'm going to try to continue to, to, to work on. And I've always, even when I was working in Indy from 97, 98, I would come do that Tuesday cult luncheon and they'd bring their sponsors in and did it for free for a couple of seasons. And I'm so grateful for that because it taught me the importance and the difference between being on camera and being in person. So I, I want to keep speaking if, if anybody will listen, because it's not about my opinions about issues. It's about being true to yourself, you know, um, and not being afraid to, to be you in a world that picks and chooses right now. Lastly, Sage, I think, personally like for me I, i've mentioned this before because i think I'm, a, I'm like you in that fact that like when i was a kid this is what i wanted to do right and so i think for me at times when i've become complacent i i'm able to reawaken that drive and remind myself of you know that that vision that i had and that competitiveness i had to get to be able to do what we do for a living but also with that came always this little insecurity and this fear that I wasn't good enough or somebody else was better. I was going to be rejected and I've never forgotten that either. Um, and it still exists in me a little bit. Is that now awaken you? Are you, are, are you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. Oh gosh. I'm not afraid. I, um, I think the difference between being fearful about something or being anxious, um, I'm anxious to get going again because this is what I do. It's all I've ever done, you know, Um, but I'm not afraid. And some people, even some people in my small circle are like, oh, my God, we got it. I'm like, no, I don't have to hurry. I mean, I'm not sitting around. I'm not headed to the beach or anything like I'm I'm just Jake. I'm not I'm not afraid of anything anymore. That's the thing. Once you really we could say we believe in ourselves but then there are certain things that are going to really check you on that and i have so much room to grow as a human being as a mother much less a broadcaster that there's there's priorities here and i just think there's bigger things i'm not fearful but i'm freaking ready because um you know sports center was such a huge challenge every day i want to my show that was noon to two eastern Everybody knew it was kind of the hardest show in the building to do because there was always some sort of news and breaking news. And we had the best director and the best producers. And what we did just in the 25 minute first block of the show, walking across the studio, walking and talking, doing highlights, live interviews, like it's insane. And I'm so proud because I know that we are at the top of the industry as far as being able to execute that kind of stuff every damn day. Um, that's something that that I'll always always be proud of um but that's why i would have the adrenaline rush and a little bit of nervousness every day because it was hard and i never even throughout this whole process with a pending lawsuit while i'm still on national tv for that company it made me better it made me 
more in tune and extra picky about every word I was saying. And I would get them to the two-hour live show, and it was, you know, we had great, 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 great. And then I was like, oh, I really flubbed that question to Adam Schefter or whatever. So if anything, I, this challenge, being so uncomfortable, but still having to go to work for that company and wanting to go to work, it made me better. So now I'm like, bring it. Especially, again, once you don't care what others think to the extent that it would affect you, you know. I'm so excited for what's next. And um, I, I think I've never been ready to go bring it and try to make it great and bring people up with me because that's the thing I want to bring along other people other young women and men who feel fearful because of all these legitimate reasons and I hope that my crap can help others feel like let's not you don't have to be scared but you got to believe in yourself and let go of all the other stuff and you'll if you don't try you'll always regret it and you think the next step begins when I don't know I mean, soon, soon. Um, I'm having a lot of fun conversations and soon, but it needs to be absolutely the right thing. And most importantly, with the right people, I need the right people in my life (laughs) in that way. Um, And I'm, I'm excited because I do have a lot of great time. Listen, 28 years in this business, God, we're aging ourselves. I have, I've met some incredible people and the people I've heard from over the past week, it's just, it's a reminder. Cause I will tell you, I felt very alone at times, very, very alone through this process. Um, but you do find out who your real, real friends are, so to speak, when you go through something like this. Well, Sage, if you make it down to Bloomington for your Sage advice, sorry, I, 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 I actually thought it was just too easy um but if you go down to talk to iu anytime soon swing by the apartment complex where we live because i think they're raising it like next week and probably should have like five years ago are they jackson heights i mean let me tell you i don't know if they're raising it but last time i went by there i'm like wait we lived here i mean it was it was near buffalo so that was cool but that that was about the extent of it right and pat and and pat knight was right next door i mean we had quite oh it was great Quite a great. I mean, we played ice hockey with Pat Knight's frozen fish after it passed away. I mean, it, it, we did a lot of things that probably were not necessarily couth. But hey, you know what? I didn't get the invite to that one. I wish that you had invited me. But by the way, that was the listeners and everybody back there in the control room. That was when Jake was too cool to talk to me. That so is now so I'm glad that we've that we've gotten to this I, point. In our Sage, I opened it up by saying you had me confused with somebody else, and I've never been more convinced of it. Right. <laughs> Never been more convinced. Hey, I appreciate the time. We look forward to anytime you want to come on. You're always welcome. We certainly wish you the best. I appreciate the transparency. Listen, next time I'm there, I don't know when it'll be. I'll come in studio and then we can arm wrestle and I'll embarrass you in front of all your guys. All right. All right. Sounds good. We appreciate it. Bye. Uh, Thank you guys. See you. Sage Steele joining us here on the show. We're way over. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Thanks again to Sage Steele for her time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Colts Eagles tonight in Philly. We'll get you set up for that coming up. John in here, obviously, in about 17 minutes. We'll do Jimmy's picks as well. Um, I'm telling you, it's funny. 
So it is true that Sage Steele and I lived in the same apartment complex in Bloomington. It's still there, but I don't know that. Co- have you noticed, Jimmy? Have either one of you guys noticed now that like college kids all live at the Conrad? Have you yes, noticed this? Yes. Like when did this come about? I mean, towards the back end to mid portion of my college career, which have been like twenty three to twenty seventeen, specifically at IU, you start to saw you're to see a lot of on campus and off campus apartments just be elevated into the lap of luxury. I mean, it's like people. I'm obviously of the age where a lot of my contemporaries and, and kids I grew up with, you know, their kids are in college. So they're posting like the, the move in pictures. And I'm like, well, wait, what? Like, I remember, you know, tile floor and then two like two inch foam mattress beds that came down off of the wall and then two de- two wooden desks that had been there for 37 years. And that was it. That was a dorm room. And now it's like. I mean, you know, granite marble tops, and I, I'm like, well, you know, kitchen sets, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Well, my sister was a freshman down there last year, and she at was IU? at Wilkie. Yeah. I can't, I don't know where she's at now, but she's not, I don't think she's nice, nice brother responsibility of you there. I have no yeah. idea where my sister is. It was a whole ordeal. I don't know where she's at now. <laughs> was Wilkie nice or not nice? Uh, it was okay. I mean, it was old and decrepit, but yeah. 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 I lived in Eigenman, and we got put on an academic floor, but the only reason we got put there was because we requested air conditioning, my buddy and me, but like we were not now, academic when, minds. So when I lived, when I was at IU, Eigenman was the predominantly international residence. Yes. Still largely of, of that okay. population, yes. And there was yeah. also... Um, I'm not even trying to make light of it. There was a terrible tragedy that happened in Eigenman during the time that I was at IU that was like a huge thing. But I didn't know. Honestly, you might be the first person I know that lived in Eigenman. But again, I mean, we're talking 30 years. I mean, totally different era, right? Sure. Um, Briscoe, they just redid. And my understanding is Briscoe's super nice now. I think that's the athlete dorm because it's up there by the athletic complexes. McNutt was always the big one to live when I was there. Um, We'll come back, get you set for Colts Eagles and hand it off to John and get jimmy's picks as well next okay i've done this on the morning show many times but if you are new to listening to my voice on these radio waves uh, my cell phone number is 317-523-9288 that's 523-9288 uh, ricky taylor dropped off two hats two of the uh pretty cool the i hope i'm saying this right Konica minolta uh, team acura IMSA hats. He dropped off two of them. If anybody is interested in them, the first two people to let me know that they would like a hat, I will send them to you in the mail. I will go straight from here to the post office. So you have the number, and don't call me right now, which somebody just did, of course. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, again, game tonight, 8 o'clock, pregame at 5. John coming up at 3. Wait, is that guy first? Like, that? if he leaves you a voicemail, is he nah, first? Does that count? No, nah, you got to text. Okay. It's got to be text right. only. Okay. okay. You know? All right. We'll make sure we add the stipulations now. There we go. A boom. I got okay. Hats given away right now. The two people that just texted me, 709 and 599. That's your phone number. 709 and 599. Um, send me your address. I'll send them to you right now. Jimmy, your picks for tonight. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right. I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. We don't have time for the full PSA rant, but sports books, let me lose my money on the preseason. I want prop bets. I don't care if it's hard for you to gauge how long the player's going to play in the game. Give me some prop bets I can bet on. I don't like four and a half. I'm not touching it. Colts-Eagles play on. Give me Dodgers over the Guardians. They had a weird setup where they got suspended last night or finishing that game now. They're supposed to play a little bit later this afternoon, so I'll take Dodgers over the Guardians on the money line. Also going to take the White Sox on the money line over the Athletics. Eddie's back. You know what that means. Plus 142. Give me those Reds. (laughs) 
Five and four on the week, by the way. And they won the last time I bet. Did you pick the White Sox yesterday? (laughs) Uh, No, I didn't bet it. Well, it's probably smart. Uh, Tonight in the Colts game, by the way, when I was talking to Sean King, former NFL quarterback, one of the things he told me, he goes, look, watch Anthony Richardson's elbow. If he's raising his elbow too high at his release, he's going to overthrow receivers, and that's his fundamental problem. And Jeff George has said, watch his head. When he's back and Anthony Richardson's going through his – progressions and going through his reads see if he goes all the way from left to right and if all of a sudden he's tucking and running it means that he's hearing the voices and he's hearing the footsteps and he's starting to panic a little bit which i think is natural jimmy and it takes a while right if both those things are factual i said the same thing about the yankees with their issues with their batters if both those things are factual observations and they're not improved at some point over the course of the season you need to reevaluate your scouting department or who's ever doing film research on that kind of thing. And then the million-dollar question becomes, how long do you give it, right, before you determine that trends are an actual – yeah, you, you know, and, and, and that it's a trend as opposed to a fact of what he is going to be. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, we are going to be out at the Hardwood Festival, so we look forward to that. John is up next, and then again, pregame at 5 o'clock. Colts and Eagles, we will talk all about it tomorrow. Uh, Jimmy, thanks so much. Thanks to Sage Steele as well and Ricky Taylor. Talk to you guys tomorrow.